the coaching by both Coach Griffin and Dylan in youth football, but that had just ended. It was Dylan's season had just ended, and when Griffin passed away, um, and so then, I, as I said, my mom she had um, prior to Griffin passing away though uh, on it was a Mother's Day actually the day after Mother's Day that very year she found out she had stage four uterine cancer. And um, so she survived an, an, uh, just a lethal um, surgery where they removed a lot. Um, and so she somehow survived that only to eight months later pass away. Um, and so there was kind of a rough time there where for me, it felt like everybody was going, nobody was coming. Yeah. And um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I that led me to a, a serious, serious bout of depression to the point where um, in August of 2015, I actually shot myself and in the head underneath the chin and um, with the intention of not being here. Uh, and so. As I look back now, um, everything I didn't have to live for, I now have to live for. And so um, it was just a period of time where it, life was tough. And it was once you get down, what my experience is, once I got down that low, um, it didn't feel like it was ever going to end and uh, unless I ended it. It's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get T-shirts. You can get caps. You can get coffee mugs. You can get hoodies. You can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. You're listening to the Ballroom Network. The following program is intended for all audiences. Welcome to the South Burbs Hitmen Podcast with your hosts, Joe Mandel, Stephen Zim Zimmerman, Vinny Parisi, and Chris Gonzalez. We're bringing you the White Sox coverage you need from the perspective of true Southsiders. Grab your Kaminsky dog with an ice cold beer and meet us at section 155. Everyone get on your feet for your 2021 South Burbs Hitmen. That ball hit deep. Way back. You can hit on the board. Yes. Jimenez in the air. Left field. He's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. Over the head of Jenks, Uribe charges, throws, out, and the White Sox have won the World Series. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! A perfect game by Mark Burley, and what an unbelievable, unbelievable play by 
What is going on, everybody? And welcome to South Burbs Hitman. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Mandel, and I'm joined by my White Sox brothers in arms. I'm talking about Vinny Perez, Gonzalez, and Steven Zim Zimmerman. Gentlemen, it was a brutal end to the season. I think I don't think there's another way to put it um, for how much of a high we've been on the whole year. But uh, we took a few weeks off. The World Series is going on. Uh, hopefully, the Astros are on the brink of elimination. We can fingers cross on that one. But uh, we couldn't pull it out. We got an amazing blackout game out of it, but we fell short of our goal. So I'll do a quick once around before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show. But uh, Vinny Parisi, how are you feeling after this White Sox season right now? Um, It's a couple weeks removed, so I'm not quite as down and depressed as I was when it first happened. I was at both home games. They were wildly different from one another. But I kind of thought of this like before diving into like the sad part of the show. I wanted to see if you guys wanted to start off with like something a little positive. Did you you notice during the intro when it like introduces me, I'm holding a baseball. It's not this one. It was probably my favorite game of the season this year, and I figured I would tell you guys what it was right now. I caught a foul. Yeah, let's let's I, keep it. We'll we'll definitely build it up to be uh, yeah. more magic magical. Exactly. I caught a foul ball, and I had never been touched by the foul ball gods in my entire life leading up to that point. Like. You're one of how many people that this ball just happens to end up in your hands. And yeah. the entire crowd is cheering for me, right? And you know me, I love attention. I love talking, people looking at me, all that stuff. <laughs> you? Yeah, exactly. So what do I do? I give it to the sweet old lady sitting right in front of me. I don't have the ball anymore. It belongs to this elderly lady that was sitting in front of us, and she was so sweet and thankful. And then the crowd cheers even more. You know I love that. And Joey later is like, dude, you don't have the ball now. Like, she's got I'm like, dude, I did the right thing. You might have did the wrong thing. I did the right thing. And that picture made me think of it. So I wanted to give a little happy story before we kind of get all sad talking about the way it all ended. Yeah, man, that's that's beautiful. I think it speaks a lot to, you know, how much joy the ballpark can bring people during the season. And I think that's what we're all clamoring to get back to uh, once the Astros get eliminated here. And then once the powers of B figure out the CBA issue, but we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. It's crazy. Like it's brought us so much joy going to the parks throughout the years. And I think we all get to watch and enjoy baseball a little more than maybe the average person. So, you know, if I could pay it forward, how lucky I've been to like be a part of this show and talk baseball with you guys every week, then I, I will, you know, maybe she listens to the show now too. So you're welcome. There you go. And if you have Vinny's ball, feel free to come on the show. Yeah, that'd be Tell us cool. about how sweet of a young man he is. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other two men living in a world of darkness on the right side of the screen, um, that's pretty much sums up where White Sox fans have been living for the last couple of weeks. But uh, I'll start things off with Chris Gonzalez, who has been uh, a busy man as of late. But Chris, how are you feeling after uh, the end of the season? And what are you looking forward to in twenty? 22 well i'm still living in the blackout at the moment um still hasn't ended i'm still hype you know right in the hype train into 2022 um but it was such a magical season for the regular season um definitely not the way we expected first october to go but i also gotta say i don't know how many times in my life i'm going to be able to say this 
but the two teams by Jerry Reinsdorf give us hope in this city of Chicago and our sports city right now. And it's kind of crazy to think about, um, especially this young core led by, you know, a Hall of Fame manager going into his second season, what he's going to be able to do going into that second season with this young core, you know, I'm just expecting much more um, success coming in the postseason, of course, but I just feel that uh, that success is coming and it's going to be exciting for us. Um, just think, I mean, it, it took uh, Ricky four years for him, you know, to with the core and all to get into that postseason. Um, and you can talk about the differences of managers, but when you really think about it, Ricky did have a shot to clinch the division that last week of that shortened season, and he blew it with managerial decisions with use of bullpen. And Tony, in his very first season, with a very similar talent that he had, that Ricky had in 19, was able to clinch a division using, at times, half of Charlotte's team to do so, you know, for a good, yeah. I'd say, what, half the season to do, you know, that he had to battle it out. That's impressive. And you give Han and Tony an offseason to put together the missing links here to really get, a, you know, a push going into next year's October. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I know this 2021 offseason is going to be interesting. I know season two with, you know, us guys for what's coming up, it's going to be a blast. And I'm glad to be with you guys. And I can't wait to start, you know, talking about wrapping up this season and talking about what is to come here in this offseason of what we we would like to see at least. Yeah, there's there's a lot coming and there's a lot of moves coming this offseason. I can't wait to see whatever the heck they are. Uh, before we bring on our guest, who'll be on in a little bit, and for those of you who, who don't know, Ozagian Jr. will be joining us here right about the top of the hour. So he'll be joining us any minute for his unfiltered thoughts on the White Sox and what happens this offseason. But I'm going to toss it to Steven Zim Zimmerman, who has been known to be able to put a couple things, all a bunch of thoughts together, and make one sentence to sum everything up. Uh, he's in a world of darkness. He's on the Death Star. You know, tell me how you're feeling, Zim. I mean, it was a very frustrating end of the season. Uh, like Chris said, it's it's not at all how I think any of us expected it to end. Maybe not even. I don't know. We, we discussed it potentially going down in flames, but I don't think we expected it to be quite like that, you know, in, in a series of blowouts, honestly. Um, for a team that was so good at keeping the other team from scoring in the regular season, uh, that, that was so good in their bullpen, that was so good, you know, taking care of business when it needed to be taken care of, they weren't able to do it this time. So it was just frustrating, you know? And I mean, I, I, I'm going from being kind of optimistic during the season to being now more pessimistic during the off season, because I don't know, maybe it's just a seasonal thing or something, you know, the weather's getting sure. worse. So my mood's getting worse, but at the same time, you know, to cross sports as I, as I do with some of these analogies, you know, we all rode the high in 2018 with the Bears, and, and and we've seen how quickly that's come crashing down. And I don't think that's going to happen with this team by any means. You know, I don't think that 
the guys that they've paid or the guys that they've developed are going to suddenly fall off a cliff like some of the guys on that team did. But it's possible. So, you know, it kind of just lingers in the back of your mind, especially after a disappointing end of the season like that. But, you know, all we can do is look forward to what's coming up next, see how Reinsdorf decides to spend his money and uh, what uh, the rest of the guys do with that money. You know, who they're going to bring in. Because I expect some changes to this coaching staff. You know, maybe not major changes, but at least some. Um, that, that happens almost every year and it'll be interesting to see where it happens in addition to, you know, what do they do about right field? It's a position they've needed to address for years. What do they do about second base now that they created this hole by trading Madrigal and electing not to pick up. So the rumors say electing not to pick up Cesar Hernandez's, uh, option. So, right. You know, all we can do is look forward right now. I, I'm dwelling a little too much on the negative, and uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully, that the Sox give us some reason for optimism before right. the winter meetings, rather than all the way up until then. And that's and that's a great segue because I want to take a page out of Vinny's book. Zim, what was your mo- happiest, best memory of the White Sox this season? This season, my happiest man. Honestly, it's it's got to be uh, that that second Sox Cubs game I went to. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, Joe. You know, the game we went to was a blast, but uh, the Sox got blasted. So they did. They did. You know, they they, they did the blasting in the next game. You know, I, I think it, it was funny because I went to that game. I got to watch it from the Craft Cave. I was no more than eight feet from the actual playing field for most of the game, and. Right. Uh, you know, I, I called, you know, I, I was joking with the guys, but I, I called like three of the home runs in that game where I'd turn around to somebody and say, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if such and such had a bomb right here? And then he hit a bomb. And like, it was just, everybody was on such an emotional high that day. It was awesome. It, the, the vibe down in that craft cave, when the socks are up like that, it's such a good vibe. I see what one awaiting is all about now. Totally, man. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great stuff right there. Uh, how about you, Chris, before before our guest joins us momentarily? What's your best memory of the White Sox this year? Uh, best memory? In person, it w- I was there for the uh, Tony wrapping up, uh, what was it, third oh, and, or second? Hold up. Managerial wins? Managerial wins, yeah. It was his second, uh, second in MLB second. history. Uh, I was there, witnessed that, and the um, – that was the angle catch out in center field. That was just amazing. But for the whole season, my favorite thing was watching the progression of Dylan Cease. Um, totally. Him just stepping up to the plate. And he ended the season uh, leading in team history to K per nine, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, and just really seeing where his, where his progression is going. He's going to take us places, and we need that young buck to be up in our rotation. Um, so for me, it would be Dylan Cease and I'm um, honorable mention Luis Robert ending with a batting average of 338 is pretty crazy too. Um, but yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it was, it was an amazing year for me personally. Um, it was just getting to, we're getting this show off the ground with you guys. It's been a blast doing that. That's a great memory. I'll always have during this magical 2021 run. <clears throat> and then last but not least, it was that blackout game. 
I know, I know Vinny can attest. Uh, the energy in that stadium was just unmatched, and you know, it's it's a shame that we couldn't we couldn't uh, take it five because I think things might have played out a little differently if we had. But uh, you know, starting pitching couldn't get it done. That's the first thing I want to talk about with our guest when he comes on was that performance from the starting pitching during that series. But you know, you're seeing the Astros right now kind of mount their own little comeback, if you will, but. I know I think I speak for all four of us when we're, we're rooting for the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> uh, Vinny is kind of, right? You got to be Vinny, right? Yeah, <clears throat> I'll spin zone it in a positive way for myself for whatever happens because I have friends that live in Atlanta who I love dearly, and they were at the last two games in the World Series. So wishing them a tremendous amount of fun with the Braves. But also if the Astros win the World Series, then I'm going to spin zone it that the White Sox lost to the World Series champions and they were just better. And the White Sox just happened to be playing them in the first round. And then for the rest of the time, I'll be able to argue that they would have beaten the Rays, Red Sox or whoever. Just the Astros were that good. So although that might not be true, it, it could be true. I definitely think it'll make the White Sox look slightly better. That's true. Uh, and I tell you what, they, we, we were in those first two games of that series, guys. And I think... I think that's the thing is that the score didn't show it for those two games because our starting pitching just couldn't get the job done. I don't want to yeah. dive too far into the starting pitching conversation because I know we're going to get into it with Ozzy Jr. Um, but I do want to point out something that uh, the Gonzo had brought up earlier to me today, and that was the fact that you know we had this amazing, amazing Field of Dreams game this year that I think – for me personally, and for a lot of the people on this show, uh, for, was the was the pushing of the White Sox into the limelight, and I just don't see them coming out of that. Gonzo, what was that winter winter classic? Man, I'm totally in the wrong sport. Uh, what was the uh, the I don't even want to call it the fall classic. Technically, we'll call it the summer classic, whatever it is. How was the Field of Dreams game important to you? You know, like you, I feel like us Chicago fans were so used to our teams getting embarrassed in national television, first with the Bears and, you know, from there, just whoever. And even you brought up Winter Classic, you know, lately our Hawks over the past couple Winter Classics haven't been yeah. great. So the fact that we finally get that game in a moment and the organizational history here with the rebuild that it's over. And we got to really watch um, that young core really take over that game. And uh, it was a battle. I mean, that went to the, you know, bottom of the ninth. And who to do it better, you know, who to do it best but Timmy. Just walk it off um, and really, and that's the biggest takeaway we can of the Yankees for, you know, this past season was the one win came in the Field of Dreams game, the biggest game of the season. Um, It sucks that they took it, you know, that they don't have us, um, as the winner going into next season to represent. Um, but, I, you know, it just puts us right up there on the pedestal for the AL at least. And, um, you know, I think that's what matters most is getting that attention that we, de- you know, that the team deserves and really watching this talent take off. Cause that's, it's also right when Robert and Eloy came off of the injury list and, you know, they just started to really pick their game up and, um, one of them two, you know, Robert got hot in the postseason. Eloy simmered down, but I just think going forward that those guys are just gonna we're gonna see a lot of them in the sp- in prime time in the spotlight for our young core. And 
in the end, it's really that young core, you know, taking this team and letting the nation really hear their names, you know, because like as Sox fans, all we hear is Trout, Trout. And, you know, we need other names out there in the AL, and Luis Roberts going to be one of those guys for sure. And we, and we got a lot of those names, like you said. And, and, mm-hmm. and Vinny, I got to ask, because because we were on this big national stage and because a lot of people out there saw the swagger the White Sox have, does that make them a more appealing free agent destination? Yeah, I think it certainly does. I mean, six of their nine hitters are elite, at least at, for certain stretches of time. So if you're a Marcus Semyon or a Chris Taylor or, you know, whoever the White Sox might be looking at going into the season, um, you might say, hey, I could be the missing piece for this team to win the World Series. I, I can help score those guys who have extremely high wars and on-base percentages and OPSs and all that kind of stuff. So I think the White Sox should be hosting that game every single year, the way Detroit and Dallas host Thanksgiving every year. I do know that it is kind of like written MLB law. This is from the owner of the Field of Dreams, who I had the luxury of getting to chat with. He told me that only the White Sox, Cubs, Reds, Brewers, Cardinals, and Royals are allowed to host it because of the like hotel issues. They, there's a hotel about an hour away, and the away team can stay there. But those teams I just named all are close enough to bus home that night. Yeah. And there's always going to be a day off right after. There, there's some kind of proximity rule in the MLBPA rules. Exactly. Like exactly. So, you know, I think it should be the White Sox every year. I have no issue with it being the Cubs or the Cardinals as the or the Reds as the opponent. I think White Sox Cardinals will, or Reds will be one one of these years just because that is the 19 1919 uh, uh, World Series that was thrown on purpose by the White Sox, thus creating the movie Field of Dreams. But the Cubs and Reds, they're not even mentioned in the movie Field of Dreams a single time. I just, no. you know, I get it. They're going to have the Cubs. A lot of people are going to travel down and they're little cubby blue and you know enjoy the game which (laughs) you know whatever i get it but that's our game and i'll always remember it as our game um it was the greatest regular season game i've ever watched on television and it's the most viewed regular season game on television since 2005 so it was just great for baseball it was great for the white Sox, and i do think it will have a lasting impact on the organization for a very long time a lot of people are not forgetting that game anytime soon including us yeah, and then I don't know if White Sox fans out there, I don't know if you guys saw, but actually Frank Thomas bought the Field of Dreams movie site and that area over there. So uh, we have you, more of a White Sox connection to it. Do you think any of that could have been an ulterior motive to try and get the Cubs out of that game? No, I I personally <laughs> don't think so. It's built think, into the I, schedule. No, I know. I'm just <clears> – it's Frank Thomas think, and – it's cool to have the White Sox connection permanently there now, though. There, they yeah, will it really be is. They will be back. I do believe that. It, I have no doubt they'll be back. It's just I feel like the the Cubs being there is just a money move for the MLB, and it's kind of frustrating. That's all. Yeah, because like, what players for them are they going to market next year? Like, it's going to be Joey Votto, Patrick Wisdom, and Frank Schwindel. Are those going to be the like guys that are on the the cue uh, Contreras. Yeah, Wilson Wilson Contreras. Contreras what if they trade him? That's possible that the Cubs trade him. He's got one year left on his deal, and they're probably going to be not very good next season. So, I, I, you know, 
I'm not going to sit here and ridicule the MLB for wanting to make some money and expand the Field of Dreams game to other fan bases. But, I mean, White Sox-Cubs at the Field of Dreams? I mean, White Sox-Yankees was so perfect because Shoeless Joe Jackson played for the White Sox and Ray Kinsella's father's wearing a Yankee jersey when they have a catch at the end of the movie. Like, I get the whole thing. Yeah. So, but they're not going to keep doing that next year because, like, now White Sox and Yankees fans, they had that already. So they're going to try and bring it to another team. I don't know. No, the, the purpose of it, I'm sure, is not only – that's exactly it. PZ in the chat nailed it. The, the Cubs have their farm club there, you yep. know, so there's a built-in audience already in Iowa. So it'll basically be a, a home game for the Cubs, even, even though they are the home team, it's still going to feel like a home game for them. But I mean, when you look at the history of something like the field of dreams, it makes sense to have those two teams as frustrating as it is for us, White Sox fans as much as it feels like those two teams don't necessarily deserve to be there playing each other, they are two of the most historic teams in the MLB. I believe the Reds are actually the oldest team in baseball. They are the oldest currently operating franchise. Right. So yeah, they do have a place there. It's just frustrating from our perspective. Yeah. And one thing I kind of admire about the field of dreams game, even from this year, it was more about Iowa than it was Chicago or New York. Only Iowa, residents were able to purchase tickets if you know someone from chicago who went to the game they got them through someone you know that lived in iowa i i find it to be no coincidence that the only person i know that attended the game is our friend Alyssa bergamini who went to That's iowa right so iowa like i you know it's definitely iowa State. connections with the Alyssa. i'm pretty sure it's iowa no, she's iowa she's iowa, it's iowa. Yeah. and oh, uh um so, you know, I think it's it makes a lot of sense. It really does. And, you know, I mean, just looking at these highlights gets me all excited. <clears throat> makes me can't wait for the next one to come around. And, man, I tell you what, I, I just can't wait for baseball season. I know it's not even over yet, but uh, White Sox season is. And, you know, I'm going to turn this off before we get to watch some more advertisements. But, <laughs> you know, it was funny. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you caught this at the end of that game where they were eliminated the day Tuesday game. Gene Honda, before closing his thing, he goes and make sure you come to guaranteed rate field on March 31st, where the Chicago White Sox will take on the Minnesota Twins. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> it's going to be freezing. And they better be playing that game and not in a damn lockout because they can't agree to terms on a collective bargaining agreement, Gene. So if there's lockout for the MLB next season, I blame Gene Honda for making that announcement. Yeah, I, I hope not. And, you know, while, while we wait for Ozzy Jr. to join us, why don't we dive in quickly? We'll, dab, we'll dabble into the CBA stuff. Yes, I can't even do a good dab, but I'm going to pretend I didn't even try to do that. <clears throat> So, Vinny, why, why don't you put it down in the layman's terms a little bit about what's going on? I, I know we've seen this before, uh, ten, roughly 10 years ago, and the White Sox went through it. Last time there was a player's strike, you could argue the White Sox were poised to make a World Series run. Yes. Um, 1994 will forever be remembered as the year the White Sox could have won the World Series. I know a lot of people were high on the New York Yankees, and a lot of people were high on the Montreal Expos back then. Um, it, it would really suck. The collective bargaining, bargaining agreement is up on December 1st. So unless they get a new one constructed and figured out before March 31st, there will be a lockout. 
or a player strike, depending on what you want to call it. I know every sport has different ways. Hockey's had two of them in the last 15 years. Football came very close to having one, and then they got it figured out during the preseason. And then, of course, they had their referee one. And then, of course, the NBA did, too. A couple years ago, you might remember the Bulls started against the Heat on Christmas Day. Um, you know, yep. it happens in every sport. It's not like baseball's these like major a-holes that can't figure it out. Like it happens in every sport. Every sport is going to go through it. Um, the thing that frustrates me is I do think the COVID-19 pandemic and the labors that involved coming back from that might have an impact on negotiations for the CBA. I think it's no coincidence that our old friend in Chicago, Theo Epstein, left the Chicago Cubs a year early to go join the MLB front office. He has a law degree. I'm no expert in law, um, but I do know that those guys are super pivotal to getting this thing done. Hopefully Theo and company can find a way to make sure our butts are in those seats on March 31st. <clears throat> Absolutely. Especially given the fact that I just paid for my 2022 uh, White Sox partial season ticket package. So that uh, makes me so I happy. I definitely want to be in those seats. Um, and I'm sure it would carry over the next year, but I want to go next year, okay? <laughs> Literally. And if I go, that means you guys get to go. Absolutely. I, Joe, I don't know how many games I'll you ended up it. going to this year. I, I went to more than I ever had. I think I went to like 30-plus games. They, they need to not let this happen so that the people like us who put a lot of time, a lot of money – a lot of effort into being a fan and people who cover the team. Yep. You don't want to alienate those people. I get it. You want to grow the game. Um, if you're going to try and shorten the game MLB, you better shorten the price I pay for the tickets too. I mean, yeah. don't, don't, don't take this away. You got something going good here. The MLB had better ratings this year than they have in a very long time. Social media guys like us, we're helping grow the game. Um, it's not necessarily like the old boring, crusty sport anymore. There's excitement to it. You got guys like TA and Fernando Tatis Jr. And the Braves are a super exciting team to watch. Even the Astros are like a villain now. When was the last time there was like a legit villain? There have been player villains. The Astros are right. kind of embracing the role of like a team villain. Like they're, they're, what do you call it in the WWE when you're a villain? Um, a heel. A heel. The Astros are a complete heel as a team. There have been heel players. They like really that. are. A Rod was a heel for a long time. There's right. been guys you hate across the league, like individuals. Though when they come to bat, you boo. The Astros, that's the entire team, and I think people yep. like that. They like that. It's good for the game. So don't ruin it, Rob Manfred, Theo Epstein, and friends. That's right. Yeah. You gotta you gotta nip this thing in the bud before it gets out of hand. And uh, I think all of us fans will be happy. And you know, I do want to bring up something that we were talking about a little bit before we went live on the show here, guys. The fans were very happy on both sides of town this year. Uh, and that's what the butts in the seats we were just talking about. So let's take a look at stadium attendance for 2021. And I just blew up the wrong screen size. So bear with me a second. Here we go. So let's make this one a little bit bigger for everybody. But here's stadium attendance. Here is your top 10. Of course, the White Sox are outside of the top 10. Uh, but there's some interesting names in here. Of course, the Cubs are always going to be in the top 10. Um, that feels a little low for them, to be honest. But uh, I think Vinny brought up a good point earlier uh, before we went on air that the stadiums weren't at full capacity until what? Uh, was it late June? You know, I'll always figure out a way to rip the Cubs. 
um, they had full capacity a whole three weeks before the White Sox did. Because you might remember they had it and then didn't do it for like a road trip. And then they came back, didn't have it for another series. Then against the Houston Astros, they did. And the Cubs just one day said, okay, we're at 100% now. So their average or their total capacity is obviously going to be higher. Another, like Zim pointed out to me, Texas. Texas is sitting there in fifth place. They had 100% capacity for the entire season. So, you know, Atlanta, they've been they've been open. They opened during the pandemic again. Uh, like dur- They were know- also <laughs> open all season, weren't they? Yeah. Or it was exactly. very early in the season at the latest. You know what I must must say I give credit to? The Los Angeles Dodgers. That building ah. is incredibly hard to get to. There's bad traffic. It's in the middle of freaking nowhere. But the, that's why the Dodgers have the money they have because the people show up and they have big attendance and all credit to them. I don't know what surprises you on this list, but I'm I'm okay with the White Sox were in the pandemic year. Yeah, I, I think mean, the thanks. Mets are one of the more surprising ones on there. I'm surprised they edged out the Sox. I mean, not by much, but they did. Um, it looks like part of that is because they played less games, actually, and it's you know an average. But you know, good good on Milwaukee. They put a quality product on the field this year, and their numbers show just like the White Sox. Colorado is one of the stranger ones on this list, if not the strangest, honestly. And I'd be curious if the uh, All Star Game somehow factors into this number. But aside well, that from was that, a mid, that was a mid-season pivot, though, Zim. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's fair. You know, and the other thing to think about with Colorado, they, they won at home. They were fun to watch at home. They weren't fun to watch on the road. So. They were the best team in the National League at home, you can argue, and they were the yeah. worst team on the road. That's why they missed the playoffs. Exactly. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it. But, I mean, just overall, looking at this list, it's mostly teams I think you would expect to be there. And – Hopefully we see an uptick for the White Sox next year. For the life of me, I was trying to figure out why every single team wasn't at 81 games, except for the White Sox and Yankees because they had the Field of Dreams. Or I guess just the White Sox because that would be the one game at Guaranteed Ray Field. But then mm-hmm. I remembered they definitely played the second half of a old home makeup game in Cleveland and Minnesota. So that would be taking games away from Guaranteed Ray Field. But looking right. at the Mets at 72, does anybody have an answer for that? How do they have – nine games missing from their home schedule. What did I miss? Oh, they had the COVID issues, right? Did they? Uh, they they might have, but there was that's a, impressive. There, that there's a lot of high. there's a lot of rainouts. There's a lot of rainouts here, Vinny. Yeah, so they they made up all those games on the road? I mean, that that's crazy. So. Let's they did day night double headers, so I think that might be what's factoring into this. Because oh, you can't count, oh. you can't count it as two games. Because yeah. the Sox had more day-night doubleheaders this year than I can remember ever at home. That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense, actually. Single admission doubleheaders. Yep, that's what it looks like, just based off of their schedule here. I see a doubleheader yeah. with the Marlins, doubleheader with the Nationals. That's just in September. Yep. More and more. Oh, it's of interesting. These. So I'm wondering. I'm wondering if they count the single, uh, the single ticket doubleheaders uh, as one. They they would have to. I would. I'm sure they would. <clears throat> yeah, I would we got a great. We got a good question here in the chat from PZ. <clears throat> Are those number of tickets sold or butts in the seats? 
my understanding is this is the butts that were in the seats. Uh, yeah, from what I understood, these are scanned tickets. So tickets that were scanned at the front gate as people came through. Yeah, I definitely think when they do the video board, those are sold tickets. Like when you guess the attendance. Oh, yeah. Because like that'll say 38,000. And then you see just like the tip top corner of guaranteed rate field like those are empty. Like if it was 38,000, mostly it's pretty full. But with this, it's definitely, I would think, butts and seats. And 20,000, Joe, you went to a lot of games. I know Gonzo and Zim were at a couple. Like, that's a pretty fair number when I'm recalling what I saw throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, 20,000, 20, we'll say 20,500. You know, I, I believe uh, that park holds 38 with standing room. I think it's closer to 40. Yeah. Um, so you figure you're about half of the park is full on an average, um, which if you know the White Sox from seasons past, uh, that's pretty damn good. <clears throat> and just wait till these guys get better. Uh, wait until we have a year where you can have full butts in the seats all year. Do you remember when uh, the seats I just think... were zip tied to each other so nobody could sit next to you? <laughs> yeah, the first it was 20% capacity for like the first month. Yeah, and... I was at a game at 20, 40, 80, and 100. And it it makes a huge difference, I think, for the players and the atmosphere of the game. And, you know, you guys can throw out your opinions on that as well. But I definitely think it showed later in the season how playing at home was impacted by the fans. Because when that team is really good, that building is really fun place to be. And when it's rocking, the White Sox just play so well. Right. It, absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's uh, <clears throat> a great conversation here about, about capacity, but let's dive in. I'm sure our guests will be joining us here in a little bit. Let's, let's get into the rest of this season recap and off season review. So without further ado, gents, you know, I think the most important takeaway from this year is that we we got that we got that central division title. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we can we can get that on the trophy shelf. We can get the new banner put up in left field, well center slash left field, uh, with the start of next year. But this this team's got a chip on their shoulder. You know, Gonzo, you you gave us a long list of some of the accomplishments uh, that this team had had this year. I'll put them up on the screen, but why don't you briefly talk about uh, some of those items? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, like you said, AL Central Division champs, and let's not let's not it for it to be forgotten that when we were coming into the season, Minnesota was supposed to be division contenders, um, and that means that we were supposed to be a wild card team, and only to be in a wild card series. And at the end of the day, we were able to get the divisional series by winning the division. Which for me, that's that's taking a step forward. Um, but yeah, 93-63 record, 53 and 28 at home, with a run differential of plus 160, which is crazy. And then Larusa, number two in MLB history, wins. Um, Chicago White Sox only team to win the Field of Dreams game. We can brag about that for the near future here. And we had four players in the All Star game. Um, for the South side. Um, also, you had AL Cy Young candidates and Lynn and Rodan. Uh, 
Also, Rodon threw that no-hitter earlier in the year versus Cleveland. Um, our, our <laughs> the guy we spent so much money in, and Liam Hendricks, he ends up being your AL saves leader. Um, Absolutely. Rightfully, rightfully so. I brought up earlier, Dalen Cease is the K-9 through nine leader in Chicago White Sox history. TA, our boy that won our Field of Dreams walk-off game, he this is his third straight season of a 300-plus batting average. Um, Jose Abreu, our MVP, it's his fifth career season of 30 home runs, 100 ribbies. Um, Luis Robert, I brought up earlier, he had a 338 batting average, and that is for missing a, like half the season. Um, it's kind of crazy that when he came back, he continued to um, have a batting average of 338, which is just ridiculous nowadays. Um, you know, Timmy was able to get up over 300 at the end of the year, and Madrigal was at 300, you know, right at the time he got injured. Um, so it's just really hard to get at that level, needless to say. Um, other than that, um, I, I'm probably leaving out a couple more things. Um, if you guys want to add anything in that you've seen over the uh, past season, I think Grandal had a crazy o- OPS or something like that. Um, or on we base had the percentage, mass- I think. Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say we had the massive home run game from backup catcher Sebi Zavala uh, that I was at. That was unbelievable. I, I was, was there with too. my dad. Yeah, I yeah, Benny was, was there too. I mean, you know, it was the struggles that Sebi had this year, you know, that was kind of the game where he put it all together. I mean, defensively, he was pretty solid for most of the year, but uh, that was a pretty amazing game and quite an accomplishment, as as I believe uh, that bat is in the MLB Hall of, in the Hall of Fame, right, in Cooperstown? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure, like, the list of White Sox players to do that were, like, Carlton Fisk, Paul Konerko, and Harold Baines are like three Hall of Famers and then like Sebi Zavala. <laughs> I don't know if I have the three right, but definitely it was three Hall of Famers and Zavala. That was, that was funny. And they ended up losing. They, you lose a game where your rookie backup catcher that kind of stinks at hitting hits three home runs. Like what went on that game? And I think the Sox had like eight home runs total in that game. Yeah, yeah. The wind was blowing out that day. I think it's a fair, fair, uh, fair note there. It was a great game, but uh, they couldn't come back and win it. But nonetheless, uh, that was a great highlight from the season. And you know, I figure why don't we focus on on some players, and we can kind of do a roundabout talking about a few of these guys. You know, first the guy you got to lead off with is 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 the leader in this clubhouse, and of course, I'm talking about Jose Abreu. Uh, this guy is the definition a warrior playing through injury, getting beat, getting beamed time after time. He took more pitches off this year, this off his arm this year than I think anyone in the history of the game. I'd have to look that up, but I mean, he, he got beamed a lot. I'd have to compare those numbers, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get those back to you probably next time we come back on the show. But, you know, Zim for you, what does Jose Abreu mean to this team and what do you expect out of him, you know, going into 2022? Abreu is the lifeblood. You know, he's the MVP until further notice still. You know, they'll never take that away from him. He's got that award for a reason. Um, And to this team, he will continue to be the MVP. As Gonzo said, his fifth season of 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. The last guy who did it that consistently for the Sox was Paul Konerko. All right, what do you think of Paul Konerko? 
What did he mean to this team? What did he mean to his teammates? You know, it's, it's the exact same thing. We are so blessed on the South side to have somebody like Abreu come in and replace Canerco. I mean, I cried on during Canerco's last game and I'll cry during Abreu's last game now. Like he is a meaningful, impactful player to this franchise, not just to this team, but, but to the franchise as a whole, his statue will be out in the center field someday. Um, what do I expect out of him coming forward? You know, he's getting older. He is in his mid to late thirties now. That's, you know, for, for a first baseman, that's about the only position you can play at that age anymore as a position player. So he's going to be slowing down for sure. When there's no knowing he, he could fall off the cliff next year. He could pull a Brady and play into his fifties, you know, it's not going to happen, but it just goes to show the unpredictable nature. As long as he can swing the bat and frankly doesn't have back problems, he'll be fine. Um, I do worry about him breaking down with how much he's been hit um, with the various different things he's gone through over the last couple of seasons in particular. You know, he had an illness that kept him out. Uh, I know that's kind of a freak thing. But as you get older, you know, your immune system does break down. If that's a thing that he's got to worry about, if he is, you know, immunocompromised and we don't know about it or he doesn't know about it, that's a thing that can keep him out. Obviously, I'm just spitballing here. I'm throwing out whatever could happen. I hope that he's still a productive leader for the team for three, four more years, you know, at least until Tony's contract is done. Yeah, which is, you know, we got at least one more year of Tony. Right. Supposedly it's a three-year deal for Tony, meaning he's got two years left with the team, but we know for sure he's coming back next year. So as long as as long as Abreu is still productive while Tony LaRusa is in charge, I think we've got a very, very capable team. Um, but it does kind of start and stop with Abreu. I, I think yeah, at it, least. It really does. And and I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick roundabout here with, with – Gonzo and Vinny before we move on to our next player. But uh, in, in one cent, two sentences or less, Gonzo, um, Jose Abreu in 2022, what are you looking forward to? Basically a six season of 30 home runs and hundred ribbies. Um, there you go, really baby. Just to be, you know, the heart of the team, him and Timmy being that heart. Um, but really to go to finish it up with what kind of with what uh, Zim was saying, Paulie's the one that mentored Jose. And what I really uh, want to see, similar to that progression of Cease, I want to see uh, Jose continue to mentor the next first baseman for us, and that's going to be Andrew Vaughn, who's in the ropes and should be seeing huge progression in the second year next year in an Andrew Vaughn. Um, we've seen you know, some flashes out of him throughout his rookie season, and <laughs> defensively he's – impressed me so much um it's just that offensive bet and he's a golden spikes winner in college so i know it's coming um but yeah that's what i'm seeing out of jose right now and his leadership i love it Vinny. what do you think about jose going in next year there are a few white Sox players over history that i look at and i'm like you're just an all-time great player for this team and you know i felt that way about paulie 
Jermaine Dye and AJ Pierzynski and Joe Creedy, like those guys were all awesome, like great players, but they weren't like White Sox lifers. Like I, I think of a couple players, I'm like, you're a White Sox lifer. You might play like a year with another team, like in your twilight season, but like Jose Abreu is one of Frank those guys. Thomas. Jose Abreu, Frank Thomas, Mark Burley, like th- those guys are the types of players I think of. We're hoping that guys like Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez, Yoan Moncada, maybe even Andrew Vaughn, like Gonzo mentioned, because I could totally see it. He has all the tools to be an elite hitter. My favorite Andrew Vaughn comp is uh, Freddie Freeman. Hopefully that like happens. That'd be freaking awesome. But um, I, I definitely, when I see him, I'm just like, you're just one of those guys. Like the White Sox build a statue for everyone, build a statue. As my friend Brian likes to say, build it and put it on top of the bean um he's just been so good um i hope next season maybe they figure out a way for him to not crowd the plate quite as much because i don't think people are throwing at him there's a couple times where it was probably on purpose looking at you (laughs) um uh cleveland indians or not cleveland indians detroit tigers but um i definitely don't think i think the twins probably beat him a couple times on purpose too um yeah i I think there's a way to make an adjustment on that because a lot of it is him just being an elite player and you throw inside to a guy like that. So next year, I'm, I'm with Gonzo. Another year of 30-100 leading the team. The lineup's only going to be better around him. I don't think there was much lineup cohesion in 2021. The The big six played, what, eight games together? Between rest and rest and um, making sure everyone's ready for the playoffs, which ultimately proved to be a bad plan, um, along with just the injuries. So hopefully next season, more health to other players leads to more Abreu and more protection in the lineup, meaning you're less likely to hit them, which is also a thing. If you know you got Jimenez, Vaughn, and Marcus Semien, let's say, hitting behind him, you're not oh, putting yeah. that guy on base by accident. You, like You're going to try and get him out. So... Good year, Abreu. We all love you. You're one of the greatest White Sox players ever. There's not much more else to say besides that. Yeah, and I want to I want to toss it to a player that's a bit of a hot topic here, especially after the brutal postseason series he had. And I want to talk about Yasmani Grandal, um, a guy who was really good for us all year. Um, got hurt, had an injury, didn't have a great average to start the year, hit when he came back, uh, and then was horrendous defensively uh, during this ALDS series, giving up on what feels like a billion stolen bases. Um, I, I'm going to throw it to Zim first because we all know how much he loves Yasmani Grandal. Uh, 2022 Yasmani Grandal, uh, what does he need to focus on and what are you looking forward to? He needs to focus on defense. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, that I rode this guy for his defense all season long. And when it came down to it, it was obvious that his defense was hurting the team. The passed balls, the stolen bases, the lack of, I mean, I don't know how else to put it. There was a lack of hustle when he was behind the plate. And I mean, you just, you want to see better. I, I don't know how, but how else to put it than just, he was so subpar defensively that it genuinely hurt the team's chances to win the game. And for that to happen as a catcher is unacceptable. The problem is 
The problem is he's so good offensively. He sees the ball so well, He, which is insane to me that he can see the ball as a hitter but can't see the ball as a catcher somehow. I don't know if if it's being lazy, if it's resting on his laurels, if it's he just had a bad year. You know, it happens. It happens. Guys go through slumps, and it doesn't affect every part of their game. Um, but he saw the ball so well at the plate that it feels almost like you kind of have to DH him or something unless he can figure it out for next year. But you have to see some kind of improvement in the field. Otherwise, I mean, he's – He's a liability out there. He is. I mean, he's, I, 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 I was going to say, Zim, I mean, he almost feels like he's destined to become a DH. You know, it's it, weird. That's exactly it. He's so good at the plate. Like, I don't want to discount that. I was harsh on him for his, for his at-bats early in the year. And then slowly he figured it out. He started seeing the ball well. He started taking a lot of walks. He started hitting home runs. He was clutch. He produced when it needed, when he needed to. But at the same time, his defense went the opposite direction all season and culminated in that ALDS where, I, I mean, he allowed five stolen bases in that series, which doesn't seem like a lot, but I mean, the Sox had none. Um, he also didn't catch a single base runner. You know, statistically, he should have caught at least two of those guys. Yeah. Um, well, one and a half if you want to if you want to cut the numbers that way but um it, it's it, in the games that i watched he couldn't even get the throws off and the fact that you're not even able to threaten a runner at that point if you can't get a throw off they're going to steal bases on you all day so and, and don't get me wrong it's just as much on the pitchers as on him it seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of communication in that department which kind of comes on to ethan katz the pitching coach um, and, and you know, maybe that's just something the battery can work on in the off season, but I mean, that also translated to the whole catching staff. The whole catching staff did not really have a good year throwing out batters. <laughs> no, not a, sing, not a single one of them, not a single catcher could throw anybody out this year. No, some guys were not, better in the past ball department than others, but, uh, overall, yeah, it, that's, I mean, foreshadowing, if we're going to talk about, uh, off-season moves. That's something I would like to see the the Sox focus on is, is finding a defensive catcher. Um, totally. I, I don't think McCann was the move. I think it was right for them to get rid of him, uh, which I wrongly said earlier in the year that they shouldn't have. Uh, it was absolutely the right move to move on from him. Now it's just what else can you do to improve that position? Because there's only a couple positions on this team that you really got to fix. Um so yeah, th that's that's my general thoughts on Grandal and his brutal ALDS. Anyone else we want to focus on right now? Well, I think I we're gonna on on. pass. Go go. Okay, go ahead, Gonzo. I'll add on real quick. Um, I can't be too hard on Grandal just because when you look across baseball, the increase of stolen bases is going up, and lack of defense in the catcher's departments across the board. Um, but it, what I will say is it is right to say that we do need more consistency and a backup is definitely needed. Bernhardt's going to be out there. I know Junior mentioned Sandy Leone. He's also mm -hmm. a free agent as well. Um, but also I think a real focus, and I, 
like I'm going to take a step back a little bit from Gandal, but our pitcher's cadence on the mound, um, checking your base runners. Yeah. It, it was God awful in the postseason. Um, that's number one that needs to get better. Uh, we can watch Gandal, you know, have better possibility of throwing out runners when our pitchers are actually checking the base runners and mixing it up their cadence. It, it will pay dividends. I assure you that. Um, but that's just from the, on the catcher's helm. Um, yes, Grandal needs to be better defensively, and I'm sure even when he's healthy, he'll do so as well. Because I, 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 you guys saw the post with him talking about his back surgery. I don't know how much of the season he dealt with that back issue. Probably most of it, because back issues are lingering. You know, especially for his case, as he's mm-hmm. had it in seasons past. Um, and he's getting up there. As as far as catchers go, he's getting up there. Yeah, but I, a lot of work needs to be done. Um, Definitely on the defensive side. It's not just catching. It's across the board. Uh, defense, if we want to win in the postseason, is crucial. And you need guys t- to field the ball better, especially in the postseason. Um, I saw, you know, a lot of bad routes in the outfield on fly balls I've seen during regular season and the postseason. And he, even Timmy defensively um, turning two. Um, it just seems like he was working through the bag and his throws were just um, – he wasn't working through the bag. And he was just using all arm, and it just seems like it took seconds off of you know the play on his, um, you know when he's trying to get a double play, um, feeding that ball. He needs to be he needs to get back to the fundamentals and really quick you know sure up his defense. For sure, um, that's something that I saw um, defensively. But uh, I agree. So real quick, yeah. Gonzo, I want to toss it to Vinny for a quick second. Uh, this is the list of free agent catchers uh, going into the 2022 season. What stands out to you? Yeah, I'm with Gonzo. I would go for Tucker Barnhart. He would be number one on my list. If you watch the Houston Astros play baseball right now, they have a lineup that is constructed in a strange way. One through eight are awesome. Awesome hitters. We can get on base at any point in time, can hit a home run at any point in time. Remind you of someone you know, if it may be at a second baseman. Yeah, the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Maldonado is one of the worst offensive players I've ever seen. He comes up with big hits in the playoffs every time I say that, too, which is the funny <laughs> part. He had a big one yesterday. and But he is just disgusting offensively, and the Houston Astros do not care because he is awesome behind the plate. Not because much past him. Exactly. That's what you and, need from the catcher's position now. Exactly. And Tucker Barnhart mm-hmm. provides that. He might even be better than Maldonado. Not a lot of people talk about it. He is mm-hmm. just – he's one of those guys who's so good at catching that you watch him when instead of the pitcher. So I would go after him. As far as Grendahl, I he definitely – I did some digging. He definitely was – he definitely was um, hurt. And he had the surgery, and that allowed him to swing the bat better. He stopped taking walks. He tried to use a little more power, and it showed. Still maintaining a decent walk rate, but the the average definitely climbed up as the season went along. So if he was hurt and that was impacting his ability to throw runners out, stop pass balls, make picks in the dirt, that's on the White Sox just as much. Mm-hmm. You know, make him a DH. You know, it's not like Gavin Cheats, um Andrew Vaughn, good players, great hitters, couple big home runs. Yes, Monty's better than them. So I I do think it's 
an interesting situation. Like you can make if he's still dealing with that next year, or he's struggling behind the plate again, make him a DH. Hopefully, you signed a guy like Barnhart or something like that to be a good defensive catcher. Um, there's always going to be backup issues, but Grendahl, his offense is worth it in terms of having him in the lineup in some way, shape, or form. He could also play first base. We learned a lot this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's not terrible at it. And he's a smart baseball player. He definitely has the brain to do all of these things. So I would go for a guy like Barnhart, make him the permanent defensive catcher and use Grandal when you have to, but keep him in the lineup for his back because he definitely is a game-changing offensive player. For sure. And, you know, you guys think about a guy like Jan Gomes. I know he's a little bit more expensive uh, than a Barnhart, but this is a guy who's been hitting strategic. He's been hitting consistently uh, the last couple seasons, and his defense has been pretty good. Uh, or what do you say about, you know, I, I personally like Jan Gomes, but again, that's probably going to cost probably triple what it would for, you know, Barnhart at this point, or maybe who knows what it's going to end up being. But these are two guys that you could even maybe make an argument that you would chase after both of them. And as Vinny mentioned, you maybe DH a guy like, like, uh, Yasmani, right? Yeah. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And it, it's not a dumb thing to do either. You're paying him a lot of money. And the reason you're paying him a lot of money was for his bat. The, the best scouting report on his defensive ability was his pitch framing. And I have seen him earn White Sox pitchers a couple strikes this season. That is something he's good at. He, you know, he's not the worst defensive catcher I've ever seen. And I think Gonzo did point out, like, stolen bases are up across baseball. They, they don't call box anymore, hardly. Guys right. are shimmying all over the place. You never see a balk called anymore. I mean, you do, but not quite like they once were. So take a peek at the guy at first place base. If your move stinks. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I hope they figure out a way to keep Grendel's bat active in the lineup. And it would be What's nice this? if it was based on an injury and he's able to work through it during the winter and be back ready to go for spring training. What's his contract left? Because I just... For consideration, he's got that. two years left. Yeah, yeah it was a three-year. It was a four-year deal after the 2019 season ended. You guys remember he signed like a four-year deal like not long after the season ended. Like the World Series was no older than two weeks old, and here's Grandal signing with the White Sox. Yeah, that, he I think that's just something you have to. I just think that's something you have to eat up. Um, but maybe there's a trade in the works here, so we'll see. Yeah. As for Gomes, I I couldn't do it. He's 35 years old, or he'll be 35 years old in the middle of next season. The thing I noticed that jumped out at me, and this is going to be more a rant on baseball as a whole than on the Sox, but but it just bugs me, is you know Joe Joe had a a list of free agent upcoming catchers, potential upcoming free agent catchers on the screen here. For those of you on the audio podcast, you can't see it. Um, the youngest guy. Uh, was 27 years old at the beginning of next season. The next youngest guy is 31 years old at the beginning of next season. Wow. Catchers, <laughs> catchers uh, don't, your body physically doesn't hold up to the toll that playing catcher takes on it as you age. It's just a fact. It's It's not poking any, uh, it's or taking any shots or making any ageist remarks or whatever you want to call it. 
your body just doesn't hold up playing that position because it's so hard on your hips, knees, and ankles. I know that with modern technology, you know, we can make these guys last longer, but there's, there's still something to be said about the fact that, you know, there's a reason all these guys are available. There's a reason that that 31-year-old Tucker Barnhart's going to be available. Why 35-year-old Jan Gomes is going to be available. Why 38-year-old Kurt Suzuki is available. You know, guys like that. These are these are guys that, yeah, they've been around for a while, but there's a reason that they're available now. And, you know, I, I blame it personally on baseball. as On baseball as a whole, on the general managers and the coaching, because they see a kid with a lot of talent and they want to put him in a position with more longevity. And I understand why. That is why defense is the most important part of playing catcher at this point in in today's game is because if you have offensive ability, they're going to pull you out of playing catcher in order to buy you an extra five to 10 years onto your career. They don't want their catchers to be their athletes. They want their catchers to be basically a run-of-the-mill guy that can do it. And when you see a catcher that can hit, in my opinion, it's a little bit of a red flag because that means he can't play any other position. Usually means he's slow as hell, too. (laughs) But I mean, that's just that's just what I've seen. Long gone are the days of a Carlton Fisk, of an A.J. Pierzynski, of, you know, these these guys that were stellar defensively of Pudge Rodriguez, these guys that were stellar defensively and had a good enough bat, you know. Mike Piazza ushered in this new era of these heavy hitting catchers who are moderate to okay on defense. And it's just frustrating from, from not just somebody who played the position, but from somebody who wants to see elite defense across the field to see us settling for subpar defense because a guy's got a good bat at a position where defense is at a premium right now. Yeah. It definitely is at a premium right now. And, you know, catchers are in a weird position and so is major league baseball as a whole, but I don't want to dwell too much on the catcher position. I want to dive into a couple of our other position yeah, players sorry. here. No, no, it's all good. Uh, and, and our guest Ozzie and junior will be joining us very shortly, folks. As a matter of fact, uh, he has just joined us now. So join me in welcoming our special guest. That is, you guys have to me. in the house. I'm I'm so sorry, guys. My my apologies. Hey, man, How dare no, you? no worries. Trust me, I I feel super guilty. Don't have kids. They mess up your life when you want to do things like this. <laughs> That's a sick hat. So we're over. Oh, thank it. you. This is uh the Venezuelan national team. I actually have uh every hat every year it comes out for the baseball baseball classic. This is uh, the last one, but I have every country. I, I try to collect them all. Very cool. Yeah, dude, that's that's awesome, man. Uh, that's well, we appreciate you hopping on. We uh, we were just talking about you know 2021 in review for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, obviously, we had a less than stellar end to the season. But uh, what are your off the cuff comments about uh, this team over the course of the season, and then of course how the season ended? You know what? Uh, I think for me, in my mind, it's a roller coaster. Um, if you were on Twitter last night at about 1.30 a.m., which I have no idea why I was on, I got into like a 15-minute argument about Juan Moncada, okay, and, and if he was considered elite or not. And, and it made me realize a lot of things. 
you know, a lot of this team, because we haven't won, the Sox haven't won in so long, and and you and you and you want them to be so good. I think a lot of the guys are are over marketed and and over PR'd, and and you're so close to it in Chicago, and and they're so exciting, and they say the right stuff, and the marketing and the and the PR is so great behind it. You know, we have the best uniforms in baseball. You know, you, you go to the feel the dream games, and it ends like you're a World Series team, and you think like, oh my God, like this is this is it. You know we got a, a manager and, and we just came from the COVID season and, and we only lost because our manager wasn't that great. And then you look at it and you're like, you know, you start looking around the, the teams that are in the playoffs and you're like, are, are the, are the socks elite? And and my question is no, my, my answer to that is no, they're not elite. Okay. They're not elite because when you look around and they have a lot of solid baseball players um, and that's good, but they're not elite. And, and when you're talking about elite, I think that the fan base the players, the front office, everyone went into the playoffs way overhyped, okay? Way overhyped because we were they were going against the Astros, a team that regardless of you believe that they cheated or not, the whole cheating situation, that was like their fifth trip to potentially going to the, you know, to the next level, okay? Um, White Sox pitching, when you look at it deeply, and I'm not talking about the relievers because I know everyone's going to blame Ked Krimbrough and, and, you know, and, and all the relievers. The starting pitching wasn't amazing during the regular season, guys. It wasn't. When, when I went down and, and broke down game by game, log by log, Lynn dominated against less than mediocre teams, okay? Uh, he had a good game against Boston, another gun one against, I think, Toronto. And, and that was a story across the Sox. And, and, and then when you had guys like Cease who had command, it wasn't against the best teams. So, again, on paper, Lynn was going for the Cy Young. It was... You know, it, it was like this Cinderella story. And then the other guy was Rondon, for example. Like, the fact that Rondon pitched this well for the Sox, great for him and great for the franchise. But this guy didn't even have a job before spring training, okay? And here we are going into the playoffs, and we're like, this is the guy that's going to get us to the next level. You know, all our chips are in. And if you pitch Rondon in game one, we advance. So I, I think that the team was good because you can't take away the fact that they won a division. But I think it was a division that was uncontested. Okay, I think it's a roster that needs it's a very weird roster the way that it's made up. I still think that they need pitching. They need they need solid pitching. They don't need pitching that's woke or great on paper because they say all the right things. They need pitching that wins games and gives your chance to the bullpen. And, and that's not Michael Kopech. Okay, guys, that that, that whole Kopech that he's going to be a, a, a Chris Sale overnight. It, it's not that easy going from throwing 70 innings in the big leagues to throwing 150 plus. You know, and I'm not saying he can't do it. I just think it's a lot of pressure for a guy like him. So I think this offseason is an offseason of question marks. And and I think that Rick Hahn needs to keep doing what Rick Hahn's been doing and add a couple more pieces. Because if I think that this team, how it was constructed last year, is a World Series championship team, I'd be lying to you. They, they, those guys would have to play out of their asses, like just max out the whole year, you know, in order to win the World Series. Do, do we have talented people? Yes. And this is a part that's interesting. We don't have to be elite in every position. Okay, when you look at championship teams, maybe one or two guys are elite, but the rest of the guys are solid. Okay, and when you look at the White Sox, guys like Moncada, all he has to do is be solid. Would I want him to hit a couple more home runs? Yes, I think his, his number should be 20 plus. Uh, absolutely, um, you know, consistency across. Um, I, I think the hardest question this year, I'm not gonna lie, for them is gonna be right field. Do you know, do you go with Mr. Sheets and, and Andrew? uh and give them a shot i hope they do because 
White Sox fan base and White Sox front office is, obs is obsessed with Adam Engel. They're obsessed with him. You know, they think he's going to be, you know, amazing. And we know what he can do. But is he the everyday right fielder? I don't think so. But again, do you go and get somebody no. in free agency? I think this offseason, guys, I'm going to be honest, I don't think they should go get any bats. This is an off this is an off season where the White Sox need to stock up on pitching because the pitching, pitching is pitching, is not great. Pitching. You know, 10, 10 ERA in the playoffs. I don't care if Connie Mack was the manager, okay? Like Lynn pitched one game and we've seen it across the series like Chris Sale went up and gave up, you know, for the Red Sox. He gave it up both outings and the Red Sox still battled and they were in it. Uh, you find ways. It was literally every single starting pitcher, including my guy C's. Um, and, and I was disappointed, man. Like, then they started talking about cheating and the other teams. Shut up. Like, just move on. Like, you got beat. You know, I, I, that was so – and it was such a, uh, a catalyst moment because it was like when you get beat, you get beat. Don't look for excuses. And, again, I think it was a team that – it was a Cinderella type of sensation. The Sox hadn't been there. You know, cool uniforms, you know, the Southside uniforms, like, you know, the Tony drama. And then Tony comes back and everybody loves him. And they make, you know, they move, they make the move for Kimbrough and all this great stuff. But I think that when you really look at it on paper and you say, what does this team need? Like this team hit without Eloy Jimenez. And I think Eloy Jimenez, when we talk about elite players, I think he's the next guy to hit 30 and drop 100 RBIs. Absolutely. And again, I know, I know RBIs are obsolete now, but I think that. You know, his OBP will be up there. He'll be a guy that, you know, we won't expect Grandal to hit as many home runs because Eloy is going to make it, you know, make you not think about it. So I think that I think that you build around that. But I really think that the pitching is key, man. And and this I think the first team that figures it out that if you can extend your starting pitching past the fifth, sixth inning, that you really have something. Everyone wants yep. to go short game. It's like, really? You, it's like everyone wants to go short game and it's like, when is the one team going to say, ha, we won't go short game. We're going to go six innings, and then we're going to make our bullpen guys really, really be nasty and go six, seven, eight, you know, nine, which the White Sox, I think, did. Uh, I think their bullpen was solid. I think that those guys just, you know, couldn't perform there at the end. But again, you, you go back to, like, the way you look at the game. If your bullpen first game of the series, okay, has to come in in the fourth inning, that's it. Those guys are taxed. It's not yeah. the same coming in. You know, eighth inning, you pitch two innings, you're out. The next guy can do it. So I really believe that bullpen is the answer. And that's a lot. No one's mentioned it, okay, because no one mentioned it. But that's on the pitching coach, too. Again, a guy that is great on paper, a guy that is super analytical, that's his thing. But at the end of the day, no big league experience, okay? And when things like this happen, you say, did that have a factor in to do with it? And if it Absolutely. did, he's got to he's got to catch up real quick, and he's got to learn just as much as an older guy would learn analytics. He's got to learn and, and and get to know those guys. You know, we can't have things like Giolito saying next season, "Oh, well, I looked at the dugout and and they didn't know that I was out of gas." That's unacceptable. And again, it was funny then, but then when you start going into the pennant race again, when you're in a pennant race, the, one game is is the difference. But I think that the White Sox. You know, we could have. I could have came on here and said, "Hey, we won the division. Everything's great. They want to win 105 games. They could win. Next, they can win 100 games next year with this roster. Again, it's a horrible division, really, really bad division. And then when they go play in the playoffs, they're going to play against teams that really face really hard pitching and battle it out all year long. And they'll be they'll exit the first round. So I think that they got to solidify in the pitching even more than the team. And it's not just the White Sox. It happened to the Twins. 
the previous the previous division winners who were a great offensive team, really weak pitching, you know, after a couple starters, and they couldn't win a game in the playoffs. So I think that pitching is the name of the game. And there's a lot of guys out there, okay? There's veteran guys. Uh, there's a guy that no one's talked about. His name is Trevor Bauer, okay? Because no one wants to talk about it because of his uh, situation. If Trevor is not found guilty, okay, and his legal matters are taken care of, uh, Trevor deserves a second chance at the game of baseball. Do I think that you pay him $50 million? Absolutely not. But I think right. that if, they, if, they, if, if he is available, he's a guy that, you know, the last guy on my list is Michael Stroman. I'll say it right now. I, I've seen his yeah. name get thrown around because they think that if he comes to the love Sox. Him, you, you, you love that Michael Stroman's going to come over? I, to the I, I love that idea. Of him coming over to the White Sox? Yeah. To be, yeah. Which, to, to be, to be what? To be the third starter uh, or what? I, I think he would get. I think he would get crushed if he came to town. Personally. I think he would get crushed too. I don't think he I would think ever he, play for Tony Larusa either. He's mentioned. Many I don't times, think he would. I think it's I an actually, conversation because he hates Tony Larusa, and he's made it public that he hates him and would never play for him. That's okay. fair. If he came, I would like him in the bullpen. That's about the only place I like him. <laughs> if he, if, if regardless of he played for Tony or not, okay. This is a situation where you have to really look at your future because locking in pitchers for four to five years is very dangerous. Very. Okay. Totally. Very, very dangerous. You you got a really nice sweetheart deal with Lynn for two years, okay, uh, and a guy that is going to give you the innings. Um, Giolito's coming up on a, on a, on a probably going to be a solid contract because of the way that he throws. That's what pitchers get now nowadays. But I really think that they really need to look for that ace. Okay, it's not going to be Dallas. Um, Cease it shows flares of it, but who is the ace? Who's the guy that? When you have to, you know, who's the Mad Max that's going to come out and, you know, who's going to be that number one? And they're, I think that they don't have him right now. Uh, and I don't think that that would be Stroman, to be honest with you. I really don't, regardless of if no. he has me blocked on Twitter or not. But I really think that <laughs> they have to, I really think that they have to dig deep, dig really deep and, and really do their homework on analytics, scouting, and really find that guy that can really be that number one for them. Uh, I threw out a rumor when Ozzy was set to be the manager of the um, of the Padres when when they were talking. I said I can see them making a move. You know, the Padres giving up a pitcher for a guy like Moncada. Okay. Yeah. Since they since there's rumors that they're going to move a position player, and again, you know, the 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 San Francisco, uh, the San Diego Padres have a lot of pitchers. Clevenger's coming back from an injury, so again, I think that you can get kind of fancy making a trade, but everything's got to be for. Uh, I, I saw somebody tweet. Seeger, Kyle Seeger, or the Seeger, one or the other. And then mm -hmm. I said, well, might as well just go get Freddie Freeman and we can have seven first basements. Exactly. Because... <laughs> a team of first basemen, yeah. There you go. It's what might... are we going to do with Abreu, guys? I'm being honest. You got you got Vaughn. You got Abreu. You, you, you know, is Grandal going to catch every day? You got Sheets. You know, yep. Sheets and, and Vaughn are playing out of position. Yeah. Okay? I know that White Sox fans think it's this is easy, like this is Little League. That a guy can just go and move positions and make it good as easy as Moncada did. It's not easy in the big league level. Playing first base is a key position, especially when you have a, an average shortstop, uh, uh, an okay second. Oh, well, now it's not magical, but you got Caesar, okay? If, if it's going to be Caesar. So you have to be able to like not have those positions. Again, do I think that next year's one of Tony's biggest challenges is going to be having a Brayu get some rest? Absolutely. Yeah. They got to talk to him and say, hey, you can't play 158 games. You're, you're going to burn out. You know, give some repetitions to Sheets at first or Vaughn. 
But that's going to be the, the 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 key. Who? How do they build this team around the guys that they don't need, just to look good on paper and 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 bring solid guys? Again, the White Sox this year, every person that they brought up from the minor league system, from Danny Mendick to Billy Hamilton. Okay, if I am a betting man, those guys will not repeat the same season that they had this year. No. And it's okay right. because they played their butts off, starting from Jermaine Mercedes. Okay. Jermaine Mercedes, I don't think anyone, I don't think even Mercedes thought that he could pull what he pulled off. <laughs> and he was a huge part of the White Sox taking a huge lead in the beginning of the season. And then, you know, you had Lamb and then you had Billy and then you had Goodwin. And then it was like the next man standing up and everybody kind of stepped up. Even Sebi, you know, Savala, you know, had his big moments uh, this season. So I think that the way that you construct the line, the roster, has to be um you have to really look at it and not this is reminds me and i hate comparing teams in 2004 when you looked at the white Sox roster and you look position by position you're like how does this team get beat Mm -hmm. okay yeah you know you had esteban loiza was the number one guy bartolo had just left but you had burley you had garland and then position wise you had valentine you know Uh, you had sandy alomar was the backup like you had guys that were like studs, Carlos Lee, Maglor Donas, guys that were like, to be honest with you, way more elite than the guys that they have right now. Okay, guys that sure. had like silver, multiple silver sluggers. Guys that and, were more elite than they won with. Correct. Again, guys that were proven. But when you saw the the makeup of the team, you really quickly realized that they were kind of very similar the way that they approach hitting. Right. Okay. Um, there wasn't a lot of speed. And the way that the team was constructed, it was a good team on paper. But to win the games that you needed, there was there was a couple pieces missing. And again, the way that you got those pieces was by maybe moving a couple of those pieces. Again, I think mm-hmm. Kenny went a little nuts and went, I think it was like 14, 12 pieces, which it's very hard to do. And bless his heart, he was able to do it. But they went and got players that they needed. So they need to, you know, they need to figure out and say, okay, is it going to be Caesar at second? And why are we getting Caesar? Because that's a key position. And who's going to be the right fielder? Is it you know, are we looking for a guy like, you know, a, a J.D. Martinez, or are we looking more for like a hybrid? Are we looking for a guy mm-hmm. that can catch, okay, as a backup and help Grandal, and Grandal can then see more games at the DH? So the way that you construct this team for the next couple of years, yep. you might have to see a key player leave. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest, man, my list of key players to leave, it's got my boy Moncada on it, okay, who I love in a White Sox uniform. It's got Tim Anderson on it. Okay. Wow. Because he's got a lot of value, but when you look at him and you say, yeah. "Okay, great average OBP is okay, but I can't find somebody else that can do this like like realistically and play this defense like numbers wise," mm-hmm. and he's gonna get he's gonna get a lot in return for you. And again, if you're not gonna move him, that means that you're gonna extend him for the next couple years, and he's gonna be here for the long haul, which is great. Mm-hmm. But then, you, or you could move Eloy, which I think out of all those guys, that would probably be the least guy that I move. But yeah. again, you move I think that's very home, possible. It is possible, again, because of Sheets and Vaughn. So, again, right. I think that whoever they move, it's going to break the Sox fans' heart. But they oh, got to look for somebody that gives you a lot in return. And when I mean a lot in return, I'm not talking about like a, you know, uh, you know, now with analytics and, and social media, everyone wants to, like, talk about prospects. Yeah, no, I'm gonna, major I'm gonna, league I'm gonna, talent. I'm going to say this. So when you go to scout school, everyone that you write a report on, okay, no one ever writes a report on a guy that says, Ozzie Jr., potential bench player, no chance of making the big leagues whatsoever. <laughs> okay? No one ever writes a report on that because that means you're no. wasting your time. So right. everyone that you're writing your report on is 
an elite player. Like I, I basically made Soler was the biggest report I wrote my in, in scout school, and I basically made him a Hall of Famer. Okay, the the guy that's playing right now in the postseason right. has he been that yeah. guy forever? No, he hasn't. But I saw flares of that. Okay, so when you see guys like Moncada and people are like, "Oh my God, he's the next Mike Trout." Yes, he looks like Mike Trout. He's actually better looking than Mike Trout. He switch yeah. hits. You, you know, there's all these things that you're like, this guy could be elite. Okay. You look at Tim Anderson, you look at him, man, this guy could be really elite. When I'm talking about elite, I'm talking about they're they're starting to have conversations about like Paul Conurco, Frank Thomas type type production. Right. Okay. Sure. Somebody asked me, do you consider your dad elite? I said, an elite defenseman, yes, not an elite hitter. He's an average hitter at best. Didn't walk enough. So we're gonna talk baseball. So, like when you're looking at uh, there's a lot of guys on this roster that have potential. Pantera, for example, everyone thinks that he's, you know, that he's the next, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. right now. And it's like, no, he's got flares of it. He's got to do it for a couple years in a row. And then you can say, okay, this guy is not movable because he's a key piece. But right now, man, if you get something in return, you know, you get you get you get a lot of pieces in return. You 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 make a move with Cleveland and you get a Zach Plezak, for example, you know, and another starter, and, and it's for Eloy. You know, uh, again, I know we don't like doing moves with the Cubs, but you get a Kyle Hendricks involved in a move. Sure. Or you know, again, those are the types of moves that, that that they hurt at first, but then those are the types of moves that might get yeah. you a ring later on. And I think that's what they need. Okay. And and again, another from from a from a front office standpoint, they need to they need to get better. Okay. At at if they're going to shift again, we know that they're not the best at shifting, and you can always no. get better at those things. Um, again, I think they were exposed in, in certain situations, but I think that you get better at that. And I think Tony will get better. Mm. The players will get better at that. And, 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 and again, be on the same page because, you know, you, you have to be able to follow the beat of the drum of whoever's making the decisions. Can't yeah, have guys sure. just kind of do their own thing. But I, I think it's, I think they win the division next year. I don't think anyone right now in that division. There's nobody without, else. There's nobody else. Close. I'm a huge, Dominant. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Guardian fan. The way that their teams are constructed, this year would prove me wrong again because I said they're going to hit. They <laughs> yeah, can't. They didn't save hit. their lives. No, they, they, they no. might get no hit next year three times again. I like okay. Detroit and, going forward. I don't know about you, Junior. I think Detroit is on the come up. I, I, just like awesome. right I think I think Detroit. I think Detroit is getting better, but unless they make like five major moves, they're not there yet. And I think okay. they're going to be like I Kansas City, where they're like they got great pitching, by the way. Their pitching is yeah. like very, very yeah. good, very young. But I don't think that they're there. And that's why I said the White Sox window for divisional dominance is like two years. Yeah, it's now. Yeah. When, you have, when you're have when you not contested. When, and that's the thing. That's when you're supposed to go for it. Because how do you think the, the Dodgers feel like they had to go play a wild card game? Okay. Yeah, they're and not. Real quick, going, now, real quick, speaking of going for it, our buddy Gonzo is going to get out of here shortly. But – he has some uh, an off-season list, and he kind of wants to get your thoughts on, you know, you're talking about making these moves. Gonzo, I'll let you take it away quickly before you got to leave us, Gonzo, but talk a little bit about the moves that you are looking forward to and hoping this off-season. Yeah, thanks, Joe. So first I'm going to get the back the backup catcher out of the way, either Barnhart or Sandy Leon. Um, I'm going to try to get Keiko's contract out of there and replace it, try to trade him to Colorado, get Blackman, so – Blackman Vaughn can split right field for their splits, brings in a veteran defensive glove and lefty. I'll take that with the contract swipe just to get that contract swipe out of there because I'm focusing on pitching, which is the game that I'm coming into right now with signing Robbie Ray, also trading for Sean Mania, and also I'm going to take a waiver on John Gray, 
he's a guy that was talking. He's got some great stuff out in Colorado, just on a really bad team in that um, stadium. But John Gray, John Gray is a guy that with this stuff was very similar to Glass now when they came out together. Um, but yeah, between those signings there and signing Tabera and I take flyer on Daniel Hudson with his postseason experience as well. Also would sign Escobar for second base. But yeah, I would let Rodon and Giolito walk. Um, so I would like to see a rotation of Lynn, Cease, Robbie Ray, Mania, and then your fifth starter would be splitting with uh, Kopech and John Gray. John Gray would eat up some innings, give uh, Kopech some time to get into that uh, starter role. That's what do you think of that, Ozzy? What I, I think that he has the the biggest gonads, and out of all White Sox fans. Because he didn't name one person that has more than a thousand followers on Twitter. <laughs> Gonzo, you just you did your homework, kid, and that's what and and that's what makes teams winners. Okay, are those small moves because the White Sox are not one pitcher away. Okay, they're multiple guys away, and sometimes you have to kind of like tilt the, the tilt it a little bit to try to find those three four guys that are going to come in and help. Um, I love the Sandy Leon backup situation, uh, especially if. If, if you want Grandal to hit more DH. I love Grandal in the DH spot. I love Grandal anytime he has a bat in his hand. I love the fact that he walks <laughs> a lot. Um, I think catching-wise, I think he can still do it. But do I think that uh, do I think that he's an everyday catcher, like, you know, 162 games? I think that he when he's rested, he probably hits better. Uh, that's my take on it. You know, he's coming off that injury. Again, I, I, I like that. I, I don't think that it's – I don't think it's Zach, unfortunately. I don't think that it's uh, Sebi, unfortunately. Uh, so, again, I think you might go a little bit more experience. I like that one. Um, the Keiko move with for Blackman, if the White Sox can pull that move off on <laughs> on Colorado, it probably could be the best move ever pulled off by Rick Hunt. Um, hey, just you know, let me grab that phone from him. I got no, it. No, you know what? I'm very, I'm, <laughs> I, I was very disappointed in, in the whole Keiko situation because uh, you, were, you were brought in to be allegedly this leader, okay? And that happens a lot, more, more than when it doesn't. When guys are brought into the team and they say, this guy's going to be a leader, this guy's going to be this, and then at the end you see their true colors. Um, you know, the, the whole thing that he was, like, late or wasn't at the, the playoff game, mm -hmm. you know, showed up late to, like, at 12, and it was, like, this whole – like, you have to be there for your teammates because, God forbid, you know, Rendon wins that game and he can't pitch the next game like McCullers, then they got to bring you in from, you know, the, the roster move. And you haven't been there. If I'm your teammate, I got a problem with it. Okay. Um, so I think that the Keiko move, I think that it might, it might be a move that, and I, by the way, this is the best part. I think that, I think, I think Rick Venturia probably has a better chance of being on the Sox had Keiko not made those comments. Uh, to be honest, I think that he started that, that snowball effect. And again, Rick didn't manage very well, but I think he's, he started that, um, that whole thing. Cause no one at the time, Hedver thought that Rick was too soft with the players. And I'm going to be honest with you, Rick Renteria might not be the greatest manager of all time in X's and O's, but I'll tell you this much. Those guys loved him. I think T.A. loved him, Moncada. I, I think they loved him. That's why I make the jokes on Twitter. You know, daddy's going to tuck him in. You know, they loved him. They loved Ricky. And again, I wasn't a big fan of it, how much, you know, how the, the style that they had, but it was very, it was very Tommy Lasorda, like, you know, a guy that does all about motivation and, and whatnot. And, and, and again, when, when Kaiko came in and he started making comments, I don't like the way the clubhouse is, you know, cause Ricky would let him get away with some things. And 
again, his exit nose kind of got him out. But again, Dallas, I think, was the main guy to get him out. And then, you know, you're not there for your teammates. I, I'm going to be honest. Uh, what is it, 14 million? Even if I can't trade it, I'm not getting anything in return. I'm moving him just to send a message. Okay. Uh, the Giolito one, I think, is going to be a little bit harder because I think the franchise might be obsessed with him. Okay. And I, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is how I think about this. So if you don't move Giolito, you have to re sign him. Okay. This is like your, your moment of truth of like, is he going to be a long term Sox? If not, you move him now. And then your last, your last one, okay, peace, guys. Your last one is Gonzo's got a roll. See you, yeah, Gonzo. See you, Gonzo. See you guys. Again, sorry for being late. The last one is Eduardo Escobar. I think that's the move that kind of affected them the most was not being able to bring uh, Eduardo in the offseason. Um, and then they had to get Caesar because I think Eduardo would have been a way better fit. And at the end, Caesar wasn't even playing in the playoffs. I think that move right there could have could have uh, probably could have worked a little bit better off of the White Sox. I think they might have picked the wrong guy. Therefore, I'm kind of intrigued yeah. to see what happens with Caesar and his option. Well, so rumors have them not picking up his option, and you know, rumors are rumors. So we'll see what actually. Well, I don't think they like. I don't think they like the style. Okay. Yeah. And that's why. And that's why I was confused about why didn't they get Escobar? Okay, because they knew what Eduardo brought to the table. You know, Eduardo Escobar is a guy that he's very loud. He's you know he's a clubhouse guy. He he connects. You know, both sides, Hispanics with Americans. He doesn't care. He's like a and you can see it. You know, went to Milwaukee, fan favorite right away. He's just a little bit different. It wasn't that he didn't like Chicago. He's just a very quiet guy. You know, he's a quiet guy. He was struggling. Um, and it kind of didn't pan out. You know, he gets bent. So I think that they didn't do their homework very well and what they thought they were going to get from Caesar. Um, I don't know if Caesar wanted to get traded, to be honest with you. I think he was very comfortable in Cleveland. Yeah. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I think when you're going to make a trade like that, I remember in 2004, they had Carlos Delgado on the phone and the White Sox really wanted him. And Carlos Delgado said, I, I don't want to go. I, I don't yeah. I don't want to go. I'm happy. You know, my family's here. I don't want to go. And they're like, hey, by the way, you know, if you come here, you're playing like your DH. And he's like, I really don't want to go. Like, I want to play first base. And and they were smart. And they say, you know what, Carlos, thank you. And, and, and you, you know, thank you for not coming. And, you know, yeah. the relationships are done. And then when, same thing when they had the Griffey trade, the number one reason Ozzy wanted to talk to him was like, hey, you know, do you want to come here? You know, because at the stage of your career that you're in, I don't want you to come here because you're being forced out of a bad contract and then you're coming here and you're kind of ruining, you know, like we're in the middle of a pennant race. I really want to make sure you want to come here to play center field out of all things. And he did, you know, he said, yo, I'm, I'm ready. Like, this is what I want. So I think those yeah. conversations, I don't know if they had it with, with uh, Caesar. And he was so cheap by the way, that I think that it was like a no brainer for them. But I think that yeah. had they got Eduardo Escobar, I think, I think that Eduardo's playing in the playoffs in the White Sox roster. Um, I, that, I was very surprised that Caesar wasn't, but again, you looked at his numbers mm -hmm. and he didn't really much, he didn't do much, man. I think he had one home run. Uh, you know, his defense was shaky. He, he didn't play very well the second half for them. It was, it was he had all the homers, terrible. all the homers in the first half for him, no power in the second half. Yeah, and, and, it that, weird, that, and, and it was weird. And it was, I think that one of the things that I don't know if they, if they figure this out, like Caesar had changed his whole approach to the plate in the last year. This first, first, uh, first half was all power. You know, he wasn't trying to put the ball in play. He was like trying to just go, you know, I'm going Yahtzee or, or I'm going, I'm getting out. And I don't know if they, I don't know if they wanted that, to be honest with you. I, I really don't. But I, he was a way, way different player than what you saw two years ago when, with Cleveland at the time. And, and I don't know if they knew that, but I, I, I would have liked Eduardo's style of play better than Caesar's. But again, I don't, you don't know why they didn't make the move. You don't know why the situation wasn't made. But again, 
teams win, teams lose. The Braves are in the World Series. They made four trades that, you know, the, the guy looks like a genius. The Sox, yeah. their trades didn't work out the best for them. But again, they, they got, I still think that they just got beat by a better team. And, you know, you got to wear it. And that's, you got to be realistic and say, hey, next year, we got to go, you know, we got to even bring even a better team. Like, it's funny because the 05 team wins the World Series and they thought that they were, they, they were still not good enough offensively. Okay. They thought that they had gone by very, you know, they had gone by kind of by miraculously with great pitching. And that's why they make the move for Jim Tomey, you know, and they still finish second. But again, even good teams make moves because you're like, you kind of see what your team kind of lacks. Uh, and I think that the White Sox need to do that. I don't think that you can't just sit there and say, okay, we're, you know, we were just one player away. It wasn't like we lost. It wasn't like the White Sox lost on a ground ball error, you know, right. or like a, like a, somebody made a wrong move from the pen and you know someone got walked off it was like a, it was blown like a, out <laughs> it was blown out okay other than the game uh the blackout game the first one which i think that had dusty not dusty that game the the houston wins but dusty for some reason you know he got, got up in the middle head. he got in his own head and, yeah i got a bit on a bat and and took off the picture and you know yeah. uh they, again, they won that game place. because i guaranteed it i guaranteed they were going to win that game and that's why they oh, won <laughs> you know what though it was, sure. it, was it, it was a very when the game started it was a very hard place to play you know had, yeah. had it not had it not been the houston nationals i think that the Sox were playing in that first round i think they advance okay i think they would play a little bit better because i think other teams might have faltered to that i think houston is just They've they've dealt with so much booing and so much stuff. They don't care. They, they don't care. Yeah. You know, and well, then the Tempera message. Ozzie, I was gonna ask you that. Like the White Sox, they they didn't match up well against Houston all season long. Like they, they was probably the worst matchup of any team in the American League, outside maybe the New York Yankees, who for whatever yeah. reason, but we we all saw how far they got. So you know, as much negativity as there is surrounding the White Sox, is it not a positive that the Astros, they made it all the way to the World Series after beating the White Sox? They kind of were the one team that was like the kryptonite all season long. Like if they played Boston or Tampa Bay, maybe we'd be having different conversations about the White Sox right now. Because if they lost to the Astros in the ALCS as opposed to the DS, then it would like seem like they took another step, even though they just lost to the same team anyway. I, I You know what? I, and, and that's why I think it was a better thing that happened this way. Because you saw the the how 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 much how much far they were than they really were, okay. And and again, when you're in the World Series, you can't just say and wake up one day and say, "Oh my God, I really need this." You're just in it, and when you're in it, you're in it. Um, but I think the Astros, a lot of teams match up really bad against the Astros. But I think that sure. you know, had they not been playing the White Sox, I don't think they throw McCullers in that game, okay. Yeah, I think that they were really scared that the White Sox offense would wake up. You know, I think that they were trying to close as fast as possible because they had not hit any doubles. Their offense is completely dead. That's not typical of any team in, in Major League Baseball that usually hits. So I really think that they were, like, really hesitant and really wanted to get it over with because I think that – I think that they were they were, they were were scared of that offense, and, and you should be. That's a, it's a, yeah, well, the White Sox offense is on. It's one of the scariest offenses ever assembled in White Sox history. They can oh, hit. And- and Dusty throwing McCullers that game, you could argue might have cost them the World Series. No, no, Series. he might. I, I think, I think, I think could have cost him the World Series injury. You knew, you knew that he was hurt, and again, he took a chance. Again, McCullers and Rondon are in different situations. Rondon, again, he's trying to stay healthy for his future, and, and again, that makes perfect sense. But when, when you're looking at when you're looking at those things, okay, this is where you ask yourself a question: 
the, the whole series started off, off right wrong off the bat. Lance Lynn should have not been the number game one starter. Agreed. No. Okay. I don't care if you're going analytics, if you're going old school, if you're going any any type of philosophy in baseball, he's not your game one starter just because of the pure matchup. Right. Okay? Not against the Astros. You don't have to look at, 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 uh, uh, let me give me a good uh, pitching. Uh, you don't have to look at like rotation spin rate, okay? Because people are going to say, "Oh, well, you're going to look at the old numbers of ERA." Because his numbers are horrendous in his historically against that team. They're just mm-hmm. really bad. And then so like, let's look at the old school numbers. And I looked at the old school numbers. And I was like, "Okay, you're not getting picked on old school numbers, and you're not getting picked on new school numbers." And 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 this is the part that's funny, okay? This is how limited White Sox fans' mind goes. I think White Sox fans thought that Lance Lynn, when he was in St. Louis, was was right. I really think that they thought it was it was right. I don't think that they watched the games. They thought it was Wainwright. They thought that 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 he this guy is Wainwright. I'm like, he pitched from the bullpen. He was never an elite starter. It's not like, hey, here comes Freddie Garcia, you know, nine and two in postseason, or anyone, you know, it's it's not a big postseason game pitcher. It's not Roger Clemens, and you say, you know what, I got to give you the ball. This guy's pitched his whole life in postseason. He's been there, but it was all relief appearances. And the times he has started, the numbers weren't that good. great. So I was like, man, and I liked them. On, and, and I knew that he could pitch, you know, I was like, maybe he pitches at home with C's. And then you throw Rondon. And, you know, if Rondon gets, is hurt, you'll find out real quick. And then you make it a bullpen day. And then you have the whole series for the bullpen to recover. Again, I was not a fan of that move. And I know why they did it. But I think that Lynn, you know, he got mad at the All-Star game, not starting it. So I think that it would have been the same for, and again, that's putting your team and ego aside. And it goes back in 2005, Jose Contreras felt super guilty about being the game starter. And Mark Burley went up to him and said, you're the best choice we got. Why would I be the starter? Just because I've been here the longest, you get the ball and you make sure that you pitch game one. Because everybody knows, like when you're in the dugout and you're in the clubhouse and you're in the front office, you know who your number one starter is. The White says, I told, I think I might've said it on the show. I said, or in a podcast at the beginning of the year, 1993, I'm still cursed because Anytime they talk about pitching matchups, I grew up in a household where my father said the only reason we lost that series was because we pitched Blackjack versus Toronto, and they had Blackjack's pitches. And they killed them in the postseason, and they killed them on opening day. They killed them every time they faced them. So I, I've always thought about that, like who, who, like matchups, like who pitches better against who. Um, and again, I thought they might go Kopech, like short. You know, I, 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 thought, they, I thought they were going to do a lot of more interesting things that they didn't kind of play with. But again... At the end of the day, they didn't, and did it cause a series? I don't think it did. I think it was a lot more. I think it was a lot deeper than that. But again, it was it was one of those things that you you have to look back and they have to decide and not make those types of mistakes moving forward. Sure. Um, and, and and you know let feelings get in the way and, and really say, hey, you know what, we got to win and this is the this is what we're going with, guys. But again, I think that they didn't match up well. And I'm gonna be honest, I think a lot of guys in the white side were tipping their pitches. I'm not gonna lie, they weren't cheating. Wouldn't be surprised. I think Houston, I don't think Houston was cheating. I think that they were just tipping pitches. That seemed from, to be an issue I, all season long. It was an issue, and I think a lot of that, that was made, that that was made mention. Kopech went through like a like during August, if you remember. Kopech and was Hendricks. like bad. Like he he was dominant all season long. Then August hit. Then like once August was over, he like got back to being dominant again. So he had this inflated ERA, and they were saying like, oh, he's tipping his pitches. Like kind of seemed to be an issue all year long. I don't know if you guys agree with that. No, oh, I, I agree. It, it so, was. Yeah, it happened. So there's so no this is, Hendricks. So, Hendricks too. So this is where. So, so Kimbrough, for example, everybody's known that that's been his issue in the past. Okay, mm-hmm. he starts tipping. That's why he does the wing thing. It's it. 
pitchers, any people don't realize this. All pitchers tip at one point or another. You get too comfortable, you start getting in a routine, and you kind of have to like reassess yourself and do mm-hmm. it. Again, not hating on the pitching coach, but this is where I don't I think the experience might have gotten to him of he's not seeing he's not looking for that. He's looking at the analytics. And again, you're looking at the spin rate and the spin rate's there, and you're like, oh my God. If I'm looking at the spin rate, okay, and I'm like, okay, spin rate's on, velocity's on, and they just threw a nasty curveball, and these guys are are taking it like we're in a we're in a batting cage of sluggers, okay? You're like, okay, timeout. These guys, something's up. Something's okay. Up. And now we think cheating because that's you know obviously we think that back in the day you say some some someone's tipping, and here's a part that's funny, okay? White Sox fans think automatically it's it's the pitcher. That's option one. Okay. Option two, the catcher. Are you setting up too early? Are you Mm -hmm. shifting your weight too quick? Option three, your shortstop and second baseman. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then Tim Anderson made a very weird comment to me. Okay. When he said, I felt that Guriel was going to pull the ball. So I moved earlier on the pitch. I'm like, that's called tipping the pitches because Guriel is like, oh, if this guy's moving here and he thinks I'm pulling, this pitch is going to be middle in okay yeah yep. so those yeah. are things that when you that's like the next level of baseball of like you have to go through the x's and that's when your coaching staff that's when people say what does the hitting what does the bench coach do that what does the first base coach do that what does the assistant pitching coach do that and for all the guys that are watching the game that's why i think the maturity level you're not doing hi mom you're not doing any of that stuff you're doing you know you're watching the game and saying hey you know you might be tipping, you might be giving up something, you know, uh, you might be giving up some, some stuff in, in, in general. So those are the things cool. that I think that are the little, little things that are affecting the team that in reality, they need to get better at and get better throughout to win more games. And and that's a great segue, Ozzy, is do you, how do you see any changes to this coaching staff in terms of bench coach, first base coach, third base coach, hitting coach? A lot of scrutiny around the hitting coach with, in terms of baseball stuff. Um, a lot of people seem to be out on Frank Manichino after one full season. Nobody said anything after 2020 when they were hitting the ball a thousand feet every other pitch. Yeah. But, you know, in 2021, they weren't driving the ball quite as much. They were 19th in the league in home runs, which was the last of any team that made the postseason. But Eloy missed 99 games. Okay. Robert missed, it wasn't quite 99, but it was up there. Grandal missed two months. Like there were, there were some home runs missing for the lineup for most of the season, like impact consequential players. So I don't know how much blame Frank Manichino hits. They grounded into a lot of double plays. They certainly had a philosophy of driving the ball. Yeah. I'm with you. So go ahead and elaborate on your thought. No, I I think zero. You know, I love when people on Twitter are like hit the ball in the air. I'm like, (laughs) Oh really? That's that's called the pop-up too. Okay. Exactly. I think that home runs were down. You have your number one home run hitter on the DL. Okay. Then you have Pantera, who I thought was going to at least hit 20 on just pure instinct. He goes on down on the DL. You're lucky you didn't hit any less because every guy on the bench that Manikino was working with, um, Mike Lamb, Lamb, the, the kid, Mike Lamb, Jake that's Lamb? his first name. Oh, Jake, Jake, Lamb, Jake, Jake Lamb. Lamb. Don't know his Jake first Lamb. name. You got to be a lead for me to know your first name, Jake Lamb. So, so where Lamb are you? We wonder where you get that from. <laughs> no, I'm saying no. So, so Lamb, no. So Lamb, I so Lamb was in spring training with my cousin in Atlanta. Okay, they were competing against one another for the position. So obviously, you're looking at who who's my cousin competing against. You're looking at their at bats. Sometimes you root against them. Yes, I do. I'm like, I hope this guy strikes out. Mm-hmm. I want my cousin to get the job. 
And this guy could not hit water. Okay. He he even he even let Pablo Sandoval, who wasn't even playing defense, beat him out. Okay. And he had kind of like a light kick. And he's been a solid player beforehand. Like he's always been a good hitter. Yep. You know, like he's been a like a guy that can put the ball in play. He's not a punching Judy. And he looked horrendous. Okay. I was like, oh, this is gonna be easy. Made the team like two weeks in. Lamb gets released, Sox pick him up. I'm like, this guy's not even gonna sniff big leagues with that swing, the way he's looking at this year. And then he came up and he had a different stance. Okay. So that's triple A coach. That's big league coach. And his at bats were better. He looked, he looked solid. He had a solid time when he was with the Sox. That's Frank Minichino. Good win. Yeah. And he went to a team like Good the Blue Jays crazy. who like he like the Blue Jays just want offensive players. But I have a question. When you went, when your dad went on Redline Radio, what player was it that he couldn't remember the name and he like had the guy on the team for a long time and he showed up to him and he's like, what was his name? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it was that he mentioned. I'm trying to think. It was like a good player. It was like a good player. And so he never remembers. So he never name. remembers. He never remembers uh, Jermaine Dye's name. Huh. Maybe that's the World Series He calls him JD. <laughs> and he called him Jamal for about three weeks <laughs> in spring training. And we're like, dude, his name's Jermaine Dye. Like, he's really good. Like, he's been in the Bailey's for a long time. But he's just, I don't know why he doesn't remember his name, but he calls him JD. And J, he, J, JD even thinks it's hilarious because, we, again, the joke is that he calls him Jamal. Ozzy's really bad with names. That's not just baseball. He's like, he doesn't know, you know, we ask him all the time about my, my sister in law's name. Um, he's like, he'll like, he'll draw a blank and he'll like say her middle name. I'm like, that's not her name. That's her middle name, but that's just him. Um, but yeah, I think it was probably Jermaine. Uh, but again, those are things that, you know, this is the part that's funny when people don't realize this, when they think like in the game of baseball, I'd rather have Tony Russa not remember any of the players' names and not, and not make a bad move in the game. Cause nobody tells you that you have to make the moves by the names. You just have to make sure you get the right guy in. So so many so much stuff is happening with you when you're when you're a coach, and that's why I think that Tony Russo, I, I admire him, either if he does good or bad, is the fact that he's that age. My father-in-law is upstairs right now. He's he's sleeping. He's right now. He's on his twentieth nap. Okay, he's the same age as Tony. Okay, and Tony Russo is on the bench managing a baseball team, and you're like, I've been there. I know what it takes on a day-to-day basis and prepare and, and what's moving and and even more now. You know, you got the analytics and you got the numbers and. And those are all things that I, that's why I admire him. I think even more than the fact that, you know, if he's winning or losing, the fact that he's doing that at that age. But I think for next year, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know who the assistant pitching coach is, but whoever it is, I hope they bring somebody as a veteran to help the kid out. Yes. Because I really think that he's very promising not to be the main guy, but to like help him, help him grow as a big leaguer. Why? Because Tony, his time with Tony is not going to be long enough. And Tony's doing so much, so much other stuff. That I don't know who he's learning from. Okay, and you're talking about a you're talking about a veteran pitching guy to help Ethan Katz. Just to be clear, right? Ethan Katz, yes, Ethan Katz. Yeah, okay. Just like an assist, okay. you know how they just have the assistant guy. Yeah, just yeah. as the assistant, and just like in game stuff. Like, hey, dude, like right now, like this is what, like right now, like right. from a big league perspective, like because I don't even think that I don't know if Lynn or Keiko are doing that for him. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, had like had like Freddie Garcia been on a team like that or Jose Contreras, even though with the English barrier, they would help out and be like, because. Don Cooper was very good at that, like big league, like what, you know, what does a guy look for and, 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 and emotions. And, you know, if you, if you went through a bullpen for, for Don Cooper. I always said that he was the greatest motivator ever. You'd come out thinking that you're the, you know, you're Cy Young and you're like, dude, this guy sucked. But Cooper did that and he knew how to, you know, get you and he knew how to pull your, pull you out of a game and not make you feel bad. And, you know, and Ozzy and Cooper worked really well 
And people always, you know, people don't understand that. Like if you see Ozzy in any game, Cooper's one foot away from him. And that's how it's supposed to be because Cooper's job is the bullpen. Ozzy says righty lefty and your job is to get the guys up. Okay. You should know what guys I want already beforehand from the meeting that we talked. I shouldn't tell you, Hey Cooper, I want Neil Cotts and this guy. No, I go righty lefty. You should already know what play I called from our mm -hmm. meeting beforehand. And even, even more now with the analytics and he's really good at that, but I'm talking about the emotions. So there was a, there was an elimination game. Okay. With the white Sox, the last game. And, and I saw Giolito I'm on the field and I saw Lucas Giolito go out to do his bullpen. And I'm like, why is he doing his bullpen? And everybody's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, this is an elimination game. He should save that bullpen just in case the game's tied and he's got to, he's got to come in. That's not on Giolito. Giolito's just doing his job. That's on like pitching coach and everybody be like, Hey, you're not going to throw your pitch, your, your bullpen today, just in case we need you, you know, the 20 pitches you have, you're going to do it on the mound. Okay. against a live batter. Right. It's a little different, but like, so like those little intricacies are there. And then I would like, I don't know if Tony was listening to Cairo or vice versa. Cairo cannot let the ball drop. Anything that Tony is not on, Cairo needs to be there. If it's rules, if it's double switches, anything, if it's arguing a call, if, if anything, whoever's going to be the number two guy there needs to make sure that Tony does not drop the ball. Your job as a coach, okay, is to make your manager look good. It's mm -hmm. to make your manager be awesome. Absolutely. It's to make your manager talk to 26 guys because the manager's talking to the media and the front office. So when you look at the hours in the day, it's very hard for him to have moments with each player. That's what the coaches are there for. And then they go and report to him and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is not feeling too good. So I want the coaches, you know, to really be there. Super Joe, if that's, if that's what you're doing. So I want to see growth within the coaching staff because those are little things that I saw throughout the season that I'm like, they could get better at that. And again, they have, they have talented coaches. I think that they just need to grow in that aspect of like, now we're playing not just for wins, now we're playing for like pennant races. So the growth on that, but I, the Frank Menachino thing, I'll be honest with you, if White Sox fans think that I, that's nuts that they want to get him fired because I think he's a great hitting coach and they need to stop looking at home runs because the reason that we didn't hit home runs was because they were just missing a couple key guys. And again, it was a, it was a season that, I'll be honest, I think Moncada took away 10 home runs from his, from his, uh, from his batting average because he didn't want to keep striking out. And he was struggling so bad in the middle of the season after the all-star break that he was like, I need to find a way to get on base. And he wasn't swinging for it. I think that Grandal, you know, wasn't really swinging for it because he knew that he, they needed guys on base because he knew that there was, you know, there was a production issue. Um, I just think guys were just getting better. Like, okay, let's, let's, I'm gonna give you an example. Would you rather have Tim Anderson add another 10 home runs, but cost you 300 more outs? Trying to get no. those 10 home runs. So that's no, the part. That's what I'm saying, though. So that's what the part when you got to look at when people are looking at home runs. I'm looking at walks, and that's why I think the White Sox got better. This team used to be a. This team looked like they were Ozzy Guillen's proteges. They swung at everything they saw except the Brayu. A Brayu is a professional hitter, but everyone from Pantera to Moncada to TA, it was C and hit, and that's great when you're developing. But once you get to a point when you and you can see the Houston Astros. You know, they're the best at it. And again, those guys all have, you know, nine years plus in the big leagues. They don't swing at mistakes. You know, they don't see a ball in the zone. They're not swinging. They want, they're going to swing at your right pitch. And if you miss it, it was the right pitch to miss. But the Sox, I think, got better at that. They got better at taking walks. They got better at, like, zone selection. Um, you know, they got better with their eye. Again, the umpires are not perfect. I think there's a lot of strikeouts in a lot of situations throughout the season that it was not the player's fault. It was the zone. But I think T.A. got better. 
And you look at the stats. Again, you look at the stats, and they got all better except home runs. Again, home runs are great, but what's the point of just having one when you can have a couple base hits and score a couple more? That's just dude, the dude, way Ro- it is. Robert at the plate, for me, his improvement this year was was amazing. And staying away from those pitches in the dirt especially, because I feel like last season – Every pitch Robert saw in the dirt, I feel like he struck out. And that's a culture, so, by the way, and that's a cultural thing, okay? When you're in Latin America, especially Cuba, I'm going to say right now, you're go- you're going out there to hack, okay? <laughs> They're not looking at analytics. You're not you, you don't get you don't get high fives that much when if you get a base hit than when you walk, okay? And that's unfortunate because they both pretty much have the same value. But he's out there to right. hit, and 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 again, he's sometimes and you can see Abreu doing it too. When you think you're going to overproduce, you're you're chasing balls, and they've gotten better. And I'm going to give you the last Frank Minichino one of like I think that. If Frank even has to have this conversation, I would drop this on the front office and whoever even second guesses him. The fact that he had Andrew Vaughn and Sheets, okay, true rookies, okay, those guys are true rookies, performed the way that they did at the plate, okay? If the White Sox need to look at their minor league development and see where they're at, that's, that's, that's a win because those guys were ready to play baseball. And what those two guys were able to do, and I, I know they lost team at the end. You know, Andrew kind of slowed down. We, we had him for rookie of the year. We know we're all big fans of him. But that was huge, man. That that gap for him, I think that those two guys, what Manikino was, was able to do, was a huge thing. I mean, he, he impressed me, and I, I just don't get the hate he's getting personally. And and I think you're going to see this team continue to to build in the offseason, specifically behind the plate and and – not just catching, but you know, all these offensive players, uh, defensively, they got to improve in this offseason. And uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing they're young, man. They're young. Look at look how many years they got in the big leagues again. When, when people people try to compare teams, you know, before Ozzy Guillen, there was Jerry Manuel, and I always give credit to Jerry Manuel because he dealt with a lot of this, the struggles that teams struggle with. You know, when Ozzy came, Joe Creedy was in the big leagues at that point, probably been out for like three years dabbling in it. Rowan was dabbling in it for a while. Garland had dabbled in it for a while. You know, Mark was already a solidified all-star, but he already had gone through his ups and downs. So Ozzy inherited a lot of the core players already done the ups and downs. You know, he didn't really have to like, all those guys were like ready to go. And I think right now the Sox are, are, are competing and they're winning and they're, they're ready to like go all the way. But they got a lot of guys, man. Like, and, and then obviously COVID sucked. Because yeah, they, they had a year in the big leagues, but that was it was it was like sixty games. That's like spring training, you and know. No those guys, no fans. Like you're like those guys didn't you know they didn't really know what they had uh, in them. So I think that this was like for them was like their true first year in the big leagues. Like this is like my first year in the big leagues. Like traveling fans, you know, I'm getting 162 games. You do anything in life, okay, for 162 days in a row, it gets boring and annoying, including brushing your teeth. And you like, oh, I got to brush my teeth this morning. Right. That's how grinding life is on a habit. And that's baseball. And I think that this year, this was a huge learning curve for those guys and for their bodies that they had to play that long. Yeah, it really yeah. was. But, I mean, I tell you what, Ozzy, every time you come on the show, I just feel like uh, we get hit with this truth bomb. And I, and I got to get one more thing from you. before. Oh, anything you, you want. I'm the one that was late. No, no, you're good. Uh, the only thing I I, I, I got to ask, what's your off-season prediction? Like, what's the big signing? Do you think there's a handful of them? Do you think Jerry opens his pocket at all? Or do you think, uh, you know, the team is is drastically different on opening day in 2022? You know what's funny? And White Sox fans are going to be like, we hate you, Ozzy Jr. You know, if I was this close, 
I'd make Ozzy my bench coach. Number I one. I love it. No, I'm, saying, I'm being serious. I'm being. I'm being. I'm being serious. I. I. I'd be like the number two guy, the assistant pitching coach that we're talking about. I wouldn't just find some old guy. I would go find a guy that I have to pay five hundred thousand dollars to, and I'd bring him because you're this close. And it's like, guys, nobody's job. No one wants anybody's job here, okay? And again, Ozzy, there could be a lot of things that Ozzy can gain from being a bench coach under Tony in front of the Sox for many reasons. But you, but you need to like solidify every coaching. Like, you need to double down because we realize that windows are not huge, okay? And when you have this team, you can't, uh, you can't just let it go out. It just happened with San Diego. You know, they hired Bob Melvin. I'm like, great. Who's in his staff? They just can't just be like Bob Melvin. You know, you mm-hmm. see superheroes. not one superhero and a bunch of no schmoes next to I him. thought your dad was going to run away with that, man. No, I no, really I'm saying, no, and, and, and he lost to the right guy. But I'm saying, though, like, I'm saying, like, Major League Baseball, they talk about analytics and all this and all this stuff. And, like, they spent all this money on the manager, okay? But then, like, their coaching staff, they get cheap. And then they're like, they just kind of, like, sprinkle it in. It's like, no, like, if I'm this close, I understand if you're the Pirates and you're the Orioles and you're like, we're not even competing. I don't even know why we have coaches. I understand <laughs> that. But if you're, like, really in it, okay, and, and you have a guy, you know, you have a pitching coach, you have one guy that's, like, analytical, bring in a second guy that's, like, the way opposite, okay? If you have a guy that's, like, super quiet and older, your bench coach got to be a guy that's, like, whipping the, you know, whipping guys in there. And and and, and, and that's the staff. Cohesion? Do you think they would have good cohesion? Because they, 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 they are both alphas, I would say. In so terms you of know, so you bend the knee. There's a couple guys in life that you know who you bend the knee to. There's a very small list of guys that guys, not, not just Ozzy. I think guys like Ozzy would coach for. And those are the guys that you see, like a Gene Lamont with Jim Leland. Okay. Yeah. When you see like a big league guy, because Bob Melvin, Tony La Russa, uh, Socha, Joe Madden. You know, those guys, they don't care who they have next to them. They're sure of themselves, okay, and they're sure of their job, and they know that you're going to make their team better, okay? That's just in general, and I think Tony's that guy, but that's just something that I've always been joking around about. I don't think the size would ever do it, but I'm saying even, like, with that, like, if it's not Ozzy, like, someone that's, like, you know, you got to solidify the coaching staff. It's okay when you have 10 coaches. They do it in the NBA. It's fine, okay? Like, I would literally bring a coach for a player. Like, if you're like, oh, this guy's, you know, this guy's having this issue, you're getting your own coach. Like this is so and so's coach because you're that close, but I I would I my offseason prediction is this. My biggest fear is that they spend money the wrong way, okay? Because I think Jerry every year people say that he doesn't open up the books, he does. He just doesn't sign, you know, the people that White Adam Sox fan Dunn or LaRoche. Yeah, or he signs. Like yeah, that. yeah. So and 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 again and and. You know, we people get caught up. Like, I'll give me the number one free agent in the in in right now in baseball. And White Sox fans think that's the guy that should come, regardless yeah. of what we have in our roster. They're like, well, that guy. You know, that's what we should get. Sign Max I, Scherzer. They should yeah. go get Scherzer, Robbie Ray, and Trevor Bauer, and then sign Correct. Marcus Simeon to play second base. Correct. And go oh, that, well, that's for... that's the big one. Okay, Marcus Simeon. Okay, if you trade for Marcus Sim, if you sign Marcus Simeon, then you make you trade Eloy away and you trade somebody else away because you can't. Okay, yeah. to make pitching better. Okay, look at yeah. look at Anaheim. They're a hitting machine. They got Otani and Mike Trout. They can't win no a pitching. game because they have no pitching. That's already been tried. That's why they're in last place in like the laughing stock of baseball. They literally just drafted all pitchers. That's how big of a hole they're in. Twenty okay? picks out of twenty. 
20 picks out of 20, my boy Perry said, I'm going pitchers. That's how big of a holder it is, okay? Just because you have money doesn't mean you go and spend money. And I don't care about politics. I don't care about skin color. I don't care about any of that crap, okay? You bring the guy that's the right fit for the team, okay? If, if you know a guy doesn't want to play for Tony because Tony's, you know, is an old dude and they don't like him, then don't bring that guy. Don't even put him on the list. Do your homework beforehand and go after guys that want to be here, okay? Go after guys that, you know, Trevor Bauer. Have a conversation with Trevor. Ozzy, I think your microphone way got covered. Because... Oh, there you go. You're good. Let me. Sorry. So I think you're good now. Oh, we lost you again. Right when I said yeah, he's good. <laughs> I don't think you could hear us, Ozzy. We lost you, bud. Yeah, maybe your AirPods died or something. <laughs> yeah, tech tech issues happen on the show. We're not too too worried or ashamed right. about it. <laughs> so they happen. I I, I gotcha. think in the re- I think in reality of it, I think that you need to be realistic with what your budget is, and then really go after those guys. And that's why Gonzo's you know Gonzo's plan was real realistic. And you say, you know what? That that sounds like something that can happen because I, I think that's the type. That's what they're going to go do. They're going to go find a couple guys that that can help them fill those spots, okay? Help them eat innings and compete. But I don't think there's going to be like a huge offseason signing of, you know, somebody has got twenty five million dollars for five years each year. I don't think that's happening. So before we go and end the show, I know it's been a while, and we can't thank you enough for your time. As always. I have two more questions for you. One of them's kind of quick. If Ozzy Sr. decides he wants to come back to managing and you want to let the little guys be the ones who break the news instead of Ken Rosenthal or something, you know how to find me. You so know you know what's to- funny? I will <laughs> you know what's funny about that? I will let you guys know, but so here's the funny thing. So I actually wrote I wrote five writers, national writers, because nobody had any idea that Ozzy had interviewed. So Ozzy interviewed exactly where I'm sitting. It's funny. I have Ozzy's plan. I, I'm going to put it up on a. I'm going to actually put it up. But he has. Um, I have his plan here, like his cheat sheet. So this is what Ozzy used for his. Uh, meeting. Oh man! Breaking news. Love bring it. It all. Yeah, the, bring so it all the props, Ozzy Jr. No, I love it was, it. it's just still here from his. It's still here <laughs> from his. Uh, from his uh, interview because uh, he did it in my office. But again, people that think that was super analytical, way off. It wasn't analytical at all. It was baseball analytics were in it, but it was not like. What's five plus five guys shift? Not, not at all. It was a really good experience, but nobody wrote about it. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I, he had never been part of a process of like, nobody had nine years, you know, with the White Sox, they kind of like, they interviewed him, nobody knew. Social media wasn't a thing. He got hired. Okay, great. Uh, Marlins, rumors were there, trade, like everybody knew what was happening. Social media wasn't that big then either. But like now you hear rumors of like, oh, Ozzy Jr. is interviewing with this team and this team just saw Ozzy Jr. And I'm like, so I'm like, oh, these writers know everything. They don't, guys. Any rumor that's out there is all, I'm, I'm now I'm like 95% of the rumors are either they re, they're throwing it out there for teams to be like, like thrown off or someone's making it up because no one knew for three weeks 
almost three weeks that Ozzy had interviewed. Okay. I pay attention to White Sox news like it's my life because it basically is. And I had no clue. No, no, no. But not only you, though. I'm talking about national. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's where I find my information from. And I'm like, and here's the best part. When Ozzy gets called, Ozzy got really upset because he thought he lost to Rojas and and, and Mike. Okay. And every big league manager that he had talked to from Alex Cora to Dusty to Bochy were like, oh, who you're up against? Oh, you're definitely going to get it. Like, there's no way you're going to get beat. And and he was upset because they said you, you didn't get the job, and he was like, "What?" Like he was really upset, not with them, but at himself. And then, and then when the game came out, I was like, "Oh, his his attitude changed because nobody saw. I don't think even nobody knew that at all. No, it was the three. It was Ozzy, Schilt, and Rojas, and like out of those. So three. again, any of the writers that were like, "Oh my," like they were out of it because I didn't hear like a Bob Melvin. You know, is not zero. Zero. So no, it was just the original three. Bob Melvin if, came out. If it nowhere. was going to be that, I could have given it to you. I will to give it to you guys in the next one to break it out. Because even the national guys, they were like, you know, they were writing us that morning because Ozzy was like, I don't want anything to break out from our end. And he's like, I don't want to share it with anybody. I don't care that people find out. Right. You know, it is what it is. And when they finally broke it, he actually told us that, hey, it wasn't us. But I was like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't, you know, and I had this bet. That I was like, if he got the job, I was gonna, I was gonna deactivate my account, and I was gonna be like the sign to like people that know me because they're like, Ozzy, Ozzy Senior got a job. Ozzy Junior can no longer be on Twitter. He doesn't want to <laughs> be on Twitter anymore, and no more baseball gambling. It's done. Like that's it. Like that and my points bet and my Barcelona Sport account were gonna be shut down in that moment, but it didn't happen. But again, no one talked about the rumors, and it shows you that rumors now are created so easily, for good or for bad. Um, and that people didn't really know, but again, it was a great experience. Um, very, it wasn't just a conversation with one person. It was a conversation with like the whole organization. It was long. It was very thorough. Um, but again, they picked the guy, you lose to Bob Melvin. It's like, you know, it's like the White Sox. When the White Sox called him and said, we're not even going to interview you. He was like, okay. And obviously when Tony La Russa lands the job, you're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I get it. Yeah. That, I, I yeah. get it. I, there's a guy that, you know, has won a thousand games, you know, respected across the league and, and whatnot. And, you know, they got a guy that they're investing in. And again, I think that it shows you, I, it showed you that baseball is coming back around. Okay. Because the numbers can always, I can always teach someone the numbers. Okay. And Ozzy and I, you know, we argue baseball 24 seven. And now, you know, I've explained OBP to him. We've broken it down, and he's like, this makes sense. You know, he's like, man, I was a dumb player. I should have taken more watch because one of the funny things, I, I tell him, like, your best season ever as a player, both offensive and defensively, was with the Braves. With, uh, with the Braves. So they had you yep. hitting second and not ninth, you know, in the National League. And when I use his numbers to explain to him, he gets it. And, again, there's, one, there's, there's numbers that he hates, like, you know, framing. He doesn't believe in it because I don't know many people that do. It's a BS number. You know, when you come to think about it, you have a good pitching staff, you're probably pretty good at framing. It helps probably a lot, but it's a really hard one to make a decision. But the other one is, you know, that he's, you know, all these older managers, they're not sitting around not reading this stuff. So they're like understanding it. And then once you get somebody to communicate it to you and kind of like teach it and break it down to you and kind of show you the numbers in a great graph, you're like, ah, okay, this makes sense. And that's why I think Ozzy was prepared for the interview because, when you're working in TV, that's a lot of work. It's like, where are the players playing? And then you're spending a lot of time while you're watching the games, looking at stuff that when you're managing, you're really not looking at. You don't have time to 
sit there and look at a graph, but you do when you're in TV. So he was really well prepared for that. And Ozzy's a huge shift guy. You know, he really loves the whole shifting thing and, and where you play. Uh, again, he loves it that the fact that before you'd have to have a coach tell you where to move now, you know, you could have me coaching and I could be like, hey, you move here. Again, that's that's a big difference. But he, he was very prepared because of that. And, and And again, people that believe that the computer is going to dominate the game and that moves are going to be made, I think that, you know, strategy is still going to be a big part of it. And, and we're going to see things kind of shift and things kind of merge together. And there's going to be a combination of both. But I don't believe that there's going to be this. When I see Matt Scherzer get thrown for two innings or a guy like Matt Scherzer just for two innings and then get pulled out and then we're going to call him the. Your mic got killed, oh, Ozzy. Yeah, we lost you again, Ozzy, mic-wise. <laughs> we're, we're juicing your battery with you so long. You're back. No, you're good. No, so I was That's saying that. Like, so good baseball like, conversation. When they, for, no, no, when the game, when the game is going to change for me 100% is when I'm going to see a guy like Michael Kopech get thrown for one inning and told to go rest for five. Because now they're called an opener, you know. It, it, they call an opener <laughs> any crappy pitcher they throw, right, you know, just right. because they want to have a different word for it. So I think that the game is just changing because we throw like acronyms and words at it, and it's like, no, they, they they're cutting the game short in the playoffs because they think they have a better chance of winning. Because if you had a guy who was matters or and he was lights out and he had 300 innings thrown in the season, they don't they won't take him out of the game. It's not going to happen. And if they do, it's a bad move by the manager. So it's like this it's these worlds colliding. And I think that the I think that the social media world is going more analytics because they can look at a number and pretend that they can understand the whole game by looking at you know Statcast and Barrow and Launch Angle and all that. And they, they forget that Launch Angle works until the angle is one way off, then it's a pop up. They forget exactly. that part of the book. You know, they, they 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 tell the story halfway. So I think that in the world of real baseball, they're realizing, hey, we can have these guys who have a lot of knowledge. And we can combine them with like really smart younger guys and really let help them digest this information. And you bring them both and you communicate it to them because that's the part people don't talk about. I can have all the best numbers in the world. If I can't communicate it to Moncada, if I can't communicate it to, to, uh, to Pantera, to Abreu, to Sheets, and that's the part that's harder. You're, you're, you have to communicate it to a Venezuelan, a Dominican, a Cuban, a guy who's in first grade, a guy who has a PhD, you know, a white guy, a black guy, a guy who's Jewish, a guy who's Muslim, you, you know, it's really hard. You're not communicating in one language, but all this information, you have to get it to them in order for them to digest it and believe it, okay? And for them to believe yeah. it and, and make those adjustments because you're dealing with guys that, you know, when you're in the big leagues, these guys have already had a lot of success. So you're not gonna have just whatever coach come up to them and be like, hey, I'm coach so-and-so. And they're like, oh yes, I, 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 I critique my dad all the time my dad openly talks about that he didn't listen to any of his hitting coaches after Walt Rignac was done. Didn't listen to any of them. Walter Rignac got fired and he told every other hitting coach after that, I don't need you. I, oh, I already geez. hit this way. And I think that's, you know, I'm like, that's a bad thing because, you know, this guy probably could have bought you some knowledge. But Ozzy's, you know, his style, he never had somebody connect with him like Walter Rignac did. Okay. And this is way before numbers. And this was just communication. So imagine now having a guy like with the attitude like Ozzy, you know, breaking in talking about hitting or doing this that's a huge thing i don't care what analytics you have if you can't get somebody to believe in it 
and say, hey, this is what you have to doesn't do. Matter. This is your, it's never going to work. It doesn't matter. Optimism or pessimism on the upcoming collective bargaining agreement issue? Oh, optimism, meaning there's going to be a season. Are the players going to get taken? Absolutely. You think? Okay. I, I, I think that they're going to, I think they're going to play ball. I think that there's just too much money on the table for them to not, I don't think this, uh, for, for, for the fans sake. Okay. I don't think that these players are hardcore, like the people that I live with for a long time. You know, those guys were, you know, they were having phone calls, you know, Hey, we're going to have a phone call at 12 o'clock, be on your phone. And that's how they were having union meetings. And they were very radical and, it was all about the, the the union and, you know, you still hear Ozzy talking about it and guys that were there and they were, they were proud that they lost money during that time, you know, because the White Sox meeting, you know, Jerry Reinsworth walks down and tells them, you know, if you guys don't keep playing, you guys will not be able to play for the World Series. And Ozzy was a player rep and said, well, too damn bad, Jerry, you know? Yeah. And he's just letting him know like, hey, this, this is, you know, this is, this is a possibility. Jerry wasn't trying to get him to play or whatnot, but you know, but those now that you see that, I think that the union now from the baseball side, I think that they're going to protect certain things, but I don't think that they go all in and, and there's going to be like, there's going to be arguing, like, should we have a universal DH? You know, should we have a three pitch inning? Not anything like, you know, if you don't give me this, we're not playing type of, I don't right. think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be very smooth. You know, things are already happening in the minor leagues that players kind of wanted, but I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot of talking in the media a lot of players are going to come out and you know run their mouths and say you know the the usual suspects but at the end of the day i saw tony clark on the field in the world series it's like a fight it's like a price fighter i'm like yeah he right. doesn't have he doesn't have the fight in him well, i mean ratings yeah. are up baseball is is Rod manfred does <laughs> that's a that's a wrong i don't think you want to go versus mr manfred no, no. He's got. He's got. He's a. He's a deadly. He's been there. People don't remember this. He was the other. He was the guy behind the scenes, putting you know putting on the hits when it was the other commissioners. He's been through this. He's been there. He's been through a collective bargaining. He's been through all that conversations and hardcore and and whatnot in those hard years. So I I, I think I think for the fans though, you know, for for our sake, I think that it's going to be negotiated. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I I, I think that I, I'm always I'm a player guy. I really believe in the players getting paid as much as possible because obviously my family made a, made a living from that. But, you know, I, I don't believe in, in, in revenue sharing. I think it's BS. You know, I think it's BS that you get to tank, you know, and then you get money for it and you get draft picks and you keep tanking. Like we have, I, there's a list of teams that I'm not going to name, but you can just go Google them. And they just keep doing that and keep doing that. And it's not fun for the teams that are on the top and going for it. Um, and again, you know, the White Sox are a great uh, example of that, of what not to do, of what to do when you went from being good to rebuilding. You don't need 25 years. OK, no. they, they were on that. They were on that. Uh, collect, they were on that revenue sharing very short. You know, they got the guys that they needed to get when they were struggling. They made really good trades and they're back into competing. We didn't have yep. to sit here for 25 years and, and do that. That's again, teams should do that. So I think that I think those are things that the players need to start realizing of. I think that bad money out there affects everyone because then not not, not then we none of us are going to get paid the right way because it only takes a couple really bad signings for teams to get really scared and then no one getting paid and that's where I think that teams need to kind of start 
you know, fluctuating and and, and, and competitiveness. And I think players are realizing that of, you know, maybe if I take less money, more money for less years, my team will be better. And and things are changing now. Obviously, defer money is like a cool thing to do, which before was kind of illegal. Now guys are more open to it. You know, you can be a little bit smarter when it comes to that. So I, I think that the negotiations will go right the way they're supposed to. Yeah, I tell you what, I know we're all looking forward to, you know, seeing what happens this offseason. And, you know, before... I'll tell you the vaccine is going to be the most the most controversial thing, probably. Yeah, probably. Boosters and all that. That's probably going to be the most controversial thing. Well, I'm just saying, Major League Baseball already. So if you want to be on the field next year for MLB, the, what I was told was you need to be vaccinated unless you're a union player. They, they're in a different rule again. Yeah. So ha, ha, will Major League Baseball try to come that down on that? That depends that's on the owners. But I think that might be the most the one that's going to be talked about the most. You know, other leagues are dealing with it right now. So, like, do you make players do it? Again, I think it's a little bit harder. A lot of our, our league is very different than other leagues when it comes to backgrounds and guys from all over the place. Yeah, and it's well, also outside, traveling. and it's also outside, which makes a correct world of difference with legality issues. Like, I know there's one player in the National Hockey yeah. League that is unvaccinated. One, and so they're doing well. But like I said. Indoor league, well, they have different. You're not wrestling. Yeah, you're, you're indoor league. You're not really touching one another. The true, ball gets true. changed all the time. And again, mm-hmm. I think that they've done a great job with the protocols. Again, is it funny sometimes? the stuff that comes up, but I think that they, we haven't had a, you know, since the beginning, we haven't had a team be like half the team gets to be quarantined. So I think they're getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, so I think that that might be one that's like up in the air of what they try to do. But I don't think the players will strike and not have a season over it. I really don't. All right. Good to know. Well, we love, we love the optimism out of you, Ozzy, and, and we, again, appreciate you giving us so much of your time. Oh, by the way, and, you have, by the way, you have to, the White Sox go on strike. That would be horrible for the Sox. Oh man, you're telling us. <laughs> right when they get good, that'd be, what, that would be like uh, twice, twice in the last couple decades. That'd be twice. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, the White Sox would not want that. We're not, no. we're not going to, we don't want any of that. So hopefully, how hopefully no. your optimism is founded, Ozzy Jr. And, uh, Again, we, we want to thank you for so much of your time and, and all the support this year uh, for, for wearing the South Burb Sitman hat on being Gian, you, your dad. Uh, it means the world to us, all the support you gave us this year. So uh, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for doing that for us. We big, appreciate that. Big big fans, big fans, they love the logo. We'll keep rocking them. And here's my other prediction. The White Sox are, for the first time in franchise history, really going to win back-to-back legit divisions. I Very love good. it. Very good to hear. Last year doesn't count. Last year was a COVID. It's a technicality. This year is going to be the first time ever they're going to win 162 back-to-back. They're going to be the – you can go and bet it. I got them winning the division. I don't care who the other teams sign. They are the American League Central champions. Awesome. I agree. That's what I I like to hear, Ozzy. And uh, it's been a blast having you. Thank you for giving us so much of your time, man. We'll let you get back to your family and your kids. But uh, we always appreciate the support. And uh, make sure everyone go check out Being Gian. I know it's on NBC Sports and all that stuff lately, uh, and and La Vida Baseball. Ozzy, thank you, Ozzy Gian Jr. Thank you so much for your time, man. Thank you. Have a good thank night, guys. Have a good night. night. We'll you too. You Take care. Ozzy Gian Jr. Great, another great time talking to Ozzy Jr. I love talking baseball with him. It is it is absolutely amazing talking with him, and he gave us so many so many inside scoops. He gave us his dad's cheat sheet when he was interviewing to be a manager, oh, awesome. talking about you know the mandatory possible vaccinations for players next season. 
this is all stuff, Vinny, that we can start talking about here in the next two, three days when the World Series ends yes. and this league year comes to a close. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to be off the air for a while until some breaking offseason stuff happens. But we can promise you guys out there that we will be back when there's breaking news, there's signings, uh, there's league issues. We'll be back. It so. doesn't even have to be on Monday. It could be whenever the bar room has a slot and uh, there's time for us to – talk and i know we have crosstown crosstalk every thursday so we'll talk baseball in there we're going to keep that going throughout the offseason because me and joey kind of just want to show to like even keep the baseball conversation going through the winter joe you're welcome as a guest as often as you'd like so i, think I appreciate it'd be a lot that of fun man. To keep the conversation going I, I can't wait to dive deeper into that little tidbit about the padres hopefully he lets us be the guys who break the news if something big ever happens yeah, man, that'd be awesome. And uh, during the course of that interview, of course, we lost two of our own. I'm, I'm, I had to had to bounce. But uh, again, a huge thank you to uh, Chris Gonzalez and Steven Zim Zimmerman uh, for this whole entire season on South Burb Sitman. You know, we wouldn't. Uh, you know, it was a great show, and we wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same without any of you guys. So we appreciate you. And quick shout out to Gonzo. We didn't get to cover this in the course of the show, but Gonzo is our pick to click winner for 2021. Gonzo won 12 out of 30 uh, shows. So uh, that was enough to take home take home the win. And uh, I don't really think you're going to get a prize other than having bragging rights. But, you know, that's enough to hold over us next season. So uh, I promise you we're all going to come back hungry looking to get that win next year. And, you know, uh, Vinny mentioned his, his show Crosstown Crosstalk with his brother uh, Joey. And, of course, they do Bar Down Blackhawks, so you're going to see lots of Vinny on the Barroom Network. Even I'm not even going anywhere. That's right. <laughs> and, of course, you can catch all his great work, whether it's on Fan Sided or Southside Showdown. And he covers the, the Devils, the New Jersey Devils as well. I mean, this guy is all over the place. He was on national television down there in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an interesting time. But, you know, with baseball coming to a close, we got hockey, we got football. We're going to keep the baseball conversation going. Um, but, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I can't thank you, Gonzo, and Zim enough. And Aldo, of course, the great director at the Barroom Network for letting me come on midseason. I, I was like a, a Band-Aid for Zim while he was kind of doing a little paternity thing. And then it was, you know, I ended up sticking around and it really helped me through a tough time in my life. So, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on, talk about the White Sox, talk baseball in general, meet some awesome people. Like I got to meet Alyssa Bergamini, who's now, you know, a friend of the program and meeting Ozzy Jr., who's absolutely a friend of the program, meeting different um, beat writers like uh, Fagan, James Fagan. Like that was a lot of fun. Guys like Chuck Garfine on the show. It was just it was great, great stuff all season long. And I honestly can't thank all of you enough. Dude, man, it's 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 been an absolute blast, Vinny. It was great adding you to the lineup, and uh, I think I found a, of course, I found a lifelong friend in you as well. So we'll be catching lots of games in all oh, sports yeah. whenever they come up. Oh yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I know we lost some of the other guys, but I know we usually do the shout outs at the end. But before we do, I'm going to totally shift gears so we can talk about a little bit of nerd stuff before we get out of here. Did you see the book of Boba Fett trailer today? I sure did. Anytime something new involving Star Wars comes out, I get all hot and tingly on the inside. It kind of reminds me of like when spring training starting, 
like for those who can't relate to like the star wars nerdy stuff like that's what i feel like and so when the book of boba fett trailer comes out and it's like they kind of hinted at it at the end of the mandalorian season two and boba fett is such a beloved star wars character i don't know if there's ever been a more beloved uh character in a franchise that had the least amount of screen time but boba pet for boba fett for some reason just like resonated with fans for 40 years now and i i can't wait to see a show just on like his adventures throughout the second half of his life heck yeah man uh, i nerded out hardcore when i saw him sitting on Jabba's throne in that in that trailer so so beautiful we have, we have a lot to look forward to december 29th streaming on disney plus and uh, it's perfect because it comes out uh, roughly two weeks before my wife is due. So I'll have something to watch, you know, maybe when I'm at home between naps, you know. Very good. Or between diaper perfect. changings, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'll definitely be a little a little something to do during a nap. No doubt about it. Yeah. Well, we'll have our hands full, but that's okay. But we're looking forward to that. And you know, Vinny, we've gotten to the point where we're at two and a half hours. It's been a long show, but again, I, I want to thank Ozzy Gein Jr. for joining us. Uh, I know he popped on a little bit late, but he gave us a lot of his time, and we greatly appreciate that. And of course, you know, Gonzo, Steven Zim Zimmerman, every single guest that's been on this year. The list is too long to say, from Chuck Garfine to uh, Lamont Pope to Alyssa Bergamini, Ozzy Gein Jr., uh, Cuba Dugout, Phil Selig. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, it's just been absolutely amazing. And I couldn't have asked for a better first season and better first people to do the show with. So I promise you, promise you, promise you that we will be back next year with a better than ever show. I forgot to run the commercial break tonight. Um, it's been such a long show. I can't believe I didn't run it. But I want to remind you to head over to deepdishtees.com slash barroom. You can get your Barroom Network swag, help support what we do. South Burb Sitman hat. You got a bar down Blackhawks hat over there. Of course, you could get uh, Fantasy Football Goon, Barfly Tailgate Show, Bear Football, Mike North Advantage, uh, you name it. There's so many great shows. Bulls 101, Bulls Gold. It, the list literally goes on and on, and we cannot thank you enough for supporting our network. Uh, we've gotten to the point where we're going to do our shout-outs. Vinny, I will let you lead things off. What do you got for shout outs, man? Of course, during the shout outs, I have to thank you, Zim, Gonzo, Aldo, for allowing me to come on. I know I said that, but I, I'm so thankful that I have to say it again. Of course, um, my parents, mom, dad, brother, Joey, you know, thank you for always being there, supporting me through this craziness. Um, shout out to my cousin, Frankie Mueller, who is now a member of Bar Down Blackhawk Talk, talking hockey with me and Joey. It was another voice that I, I trust and I believe in to help us grow the show. Smart guy knows his stuff. So thank you for joining the show. Um, a special shout out to every single person who went to a White Sox game with me this season, including you. Um, if man. you went to a game with me this season, that means I love you so much. And, you know, I'm bringing you with me to do something that's so special to me. And, you know, I'll give a special shout out to a couple of my friends, Dylan, one of my best friends in the world, my friend Katie, thank you so much for everything you do for me and how much you support me throughout all this. You know, I love all you guys. So thank you for everything. And our buddy Travis is glad to have you on the show, Vinny, because he was so mysterious and badass. Me or Boba Fett? Oh, that's a great question. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe he is referring to Boba Fett, but either way Vinny's mysterious and badass too so Kinda, it works, for, it works for both 
well, we'll see if he clarifies, but either way, it could be a mysterious and badass for us to make that decision in the future. But um, to get into my shout outs, of course, I shout out all, all three of my co-hosts, Vinny, Zim, Gonzo. Uh, I love you guys like brothers. And, and, you know, it's been a great privilege to be able to uh, talk White Sox baseball with you all year. Uh, Travis clarified both, but he was talking about Boba Fett. Okay, totally makes sense. <laughs> uh, but again, a huge shout out to all three of you guys. I love you guys, and it's been so much fun. Season two coming next season, but we'll be here in the off season too. Don't worry about that. Uh, of course, I'm going to shout out my beautiful wife, Catherine, uh, my great Dane, Maverick, and our baby daughter due in January, uh, and announcing to the world her name. Uh, it's going to be Audrey Lauren Marie Mandel. So uh, she will be joining us here uh, in mid-January. We cannot wait to meet her. Uh, going to be the joy of my wife and I's life. So we are looking forward to that. And last but not least, I have to thank everyone that tuned into the show over the course of the season. Uh, there's been a lot of you. I cannot possibly name you all, but the support means more than I could ever say in two sentences or three sentences or anything. So thank you for tuning in. And um, of course, White Sox Twitter, you guys have embraced us with open arms. Uh, We started with zero followers at the start of the year and we're well over 1100. So uh, we've come a long way. We promise there's going to be big things coming next year. And we promise that you are going to have a lot of more fun with us for, for seasons to come. Our buddy Travis says he can't wait for season two. Good luck on the baby. It's a blessing. Thank you, Travis. Yes, sir. We are looking forward to that blessing and looking forward to the offseason to see this White Sox team improve. I want it on record that I, that was my natural, unfiltered reaction to learning your baby's name. Most of the time you tell me these things before we go on camera, like that was unfiltered, perfect reaction. I can't wait. That That's going to be so fun for you guys. I'm so excited. I can't express Thanks. enough how excited I am to see that for you guys. You guys are amazing, and I know you're going to be great parents. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'll have to go back and watch the reaction because I saw it as I was talking, and I, and so I didn't get teared up. I, I looked away over here because I saw yeah, you, you like smiling from ear to ear. Yeah, you um, can't tear up. There, there's no crying in baseball, right? Uh, there sure is, and there's going to yeah, be a lot of it this offseason. But, yeah. yeah, Audrey Lauren Marie Mandel joining us uh, early 2022. So we can't wait for that. But, again, Vinny, it's been an absolute blast talking baseball with you all year. Uh, we're at the two-and-a-half-hour mark. We've we've done the marathon. The podcast listeners, if you're still with us, we love you. Uh, if you're watching with us live, like Travis and, and my dad, and there's eight other people that are watching right now, thank you. And then, of course, we talked about it earlier. Travis said his son's going to be playing a game at Dallas Cowboys Stadium uh, later this year. So we'll check out your Twitter and uh, make sure you share that with us, Twitter, uh, Twitter, Travis on Twitter. And we will focus on that as well when that happens on Fantasy Football Goon. But I'm just going to keep rambling. And then uh, if I don't keep rambling, the show will never end. So on that note, I've hit the end of my ramble. Uh, I got nothing else to say. We love you. Thank you, White Sox fans. Thank you, co-hosts. Thank you, listeners. This we got to we got to pull the plug at some point. So we're gonna hit the off season now as soon as I roll these credits. But Vinny, uh, go White Sox. Let's get into this off season. Let's do what we got to do and get back to business. We'll see you guys on the south side the end of March. We'll be back before then though with off season news. Vinny, 
take it out of here for us, man. It's been a great season. Thank you so much. And as always, let's go White Sox. Let's go. 